can't feel my fucking hands. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Dude, you kicked my ribs to pieces, man. I feel it stabbing my lung. Oh, God. Jesus. How hard you kick them? Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Poor Sion Sono had a heart attack. Yeah, well, that's what will happen just before you start a project with Nicolas Cage. Sure, Can't sure. Hang with, cannot hang with Cage. You know what I'm saying? I Maybe he just had to get it out of the way. Like, hang on, before we start shooting, <laughs> let me have this heart attack. Yeah, before I sign this contract, ask him about health scares. Let's um, just get out of the way. Man, I hope that doesn't derail that project because that is, that's two great tastes that taste great together. I get the feeling he's a force of will. I think if he wants to do it, I'll have him. I don't think I. I get the feeling that nothing really stops him doing what he wants to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a different system over there as well. So, oh man, yeah. I just uh, I have such a fondness for Sion Sono's absurdity, mm. uh, and I, I think that Nicolas Cage is a nice fit with that. Oh, he's having these little uh, cage renaissance at the moment now that he's got that Lovecraft movie booked as well with Richard Stanley. I know, man. That's nuts. That's a movie I want to see. I want to see what that guy does after, what, 30 years of not making movies? Right, of like wandering the earth like a fucking lunatic. (laughs) Like David Carradine. Yeah. Uh, Qui Chon Kane. I mean, like, I can't stress how fucking amazing Hardwire is in my, in my like, pantheon of growing up watching movies. That movie profoundly impacted me. So the fact that that dude's career just kind of became, like, one massive acid trip on an island. Um, you know, and the fact he's coming back to do anything and the fact that this is the project he's going to do and Cage is just like oh my god <laughs> it's, it's too much yeah I like the fact that just genre directors have tapped into the idea like look Nicolas Cage has to work okay yeah. like he's got too much tax money at stake here he's got to he has to keep working until he's dead yeah he's, he's Nicolas Cage has to work and FYI we don't think he's fussy on the scripts right but He's also open to do weird shit, which he's kind of perfect for. Yeah. So it's this weird, like, symbiosis of Nicolas Cage has to keep working. He has to keep doing some movies that maybe he wouldn't necessarily want to do if he didn't Mm -hmm. owe the government a ton of money. It's weird. His kind of career is, is, is weirdly parallel in where he started. Because did all those really weird, crazy roles right at the beginning of his career, and now he's kind of back doing them. <laughs> it's kind of full circle. It's a circle. It's a circle of life. It's a circle of life. Hey, my life. Um, yeah, it, it, it. But I, I love the fact that like horror directors have discovered like, oh shit, Barbara Crampton's still alive. Yeah, I know. You know, know. like we can put her in stuff, and she'll she'll do it, and she'll be great. And, oh, by the way, Nicholas, it's only a matter of time, Duncan. Before the two of them are in a movie, I know. And the the universe will implode. I know. I know. Won't it be, like, that day, truly, like, the nuclear warheads will defuse themselves. It mm-hmm. and, like, the children of the Earth will join hands and sing. It It's going to be a thing of beauty. I know. 
It's going to be fucking incredible, and I can't wait. Crampton and Cage together again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give it. All right, uh, welcome to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Nay, Duncan and Bo Come True Detective. Uh, we are at season three, episode seven. Penultimate. The yeah, the penultimate episode um, where things are are starting to come together, uh, Duncan, in some interesting ways. And uh, first of all, hey, how are you? It's Duncan, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing very well, Bo. I'm doing very well. We're, we're recording uh, a day later than we usually do and earlier than we usually do. Um, and you've just advised me that you're partaking of a bit of uh, day drinking, mm-hmm. um, or as we like to call it in Scotland, um, every single day of the week. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Any time of the day. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't got to... Like, You'll know it's gotten bad when I start just like shushing you. Shush. Yeah. Shush. Duncan. Hey. Psst. Duncan. Hey. Psst. I got a secret. Shut up. When when it gets to that point, you know there's trouble. Yeah. I'm t- my, my only concern here is that you forget to stop the podcast and you just keep going. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I uh, I, I could just keep going for days. <laughs> um, just get a message from you tomorrow saying what did we talk about last night oh, the episode Bob why I've got 7 hours podcast recorded no we didn't record for 7 hours Bob well I did <laughs> yeah I, I mean and that's the thing is here lately I've been dropping bangers left and right as far mm-hmm. as uh, you know hefty shows that um, require some attention and whatnot, some production and um i'm uh i'm tired so i'm glad to do a show like this duncan where frankly very few of us care uh yeah and there is no mental capacity at all required to keep in your brain at any time you're not juggling three timelines or four in this episode they introduced yeah i was like like, come on guys can we not just keep it linear Oh man, where is this? Like, is this somewhere in the year two thousand ish? Oh, I have no fucking idea. But they just they pistol whipped me with it. I was like, what have I done? done. Oh, out out of fucking nowhere. Where were you? Like, oh, true detective. Oh, you get oh my ribs. Oh, it's pressing against my lung. Oh, true detective. You you busted something serious. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about where where compassion takes you. That's why the Scots have been on this planet longer than any other race. <laughs> it's not 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 true, but and mind <laughs> is because we trust no one. <laughs> right, right. That's why you guys are such a poison pill about this Brexit thing. It was it was why we like 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 X. We were like the whole nation of Scotland sued. Fox over the X Files when they were like trust no one and we're like no 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 you're using that as a motto for your show it's a way of life over here so let me let me just get you on the record here Duncan mm-hmm. is is there going to be a No Deal Brexit is that what's happening uh, how how much have you been keeping up I'm, I'm pretty close I'm I, I've been watching it pretty closely so you know about um, the scandal this week about MPs leaving the parties and setting up a rival party? No, I missed all of this. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. Right, so eight Labour MPs have quit the party and three Conservative MPs have quit their party and formed an alternative party. 
But she's just fucking nuts. So they've just created their own party. To what end, though? I mean, the deadline is you're, is it's right around the corner. What, yeah. what 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 are they proposing to do with what little time remains? I think it's more they just don't want to be tagged with something for history's sake. You know what I mean? Like the the last stand. Even though both both fucking groups presided over the biggest clusterfuck in our lifetime in the UK, like easily the biggest clusterfuck. But yeah, at this stage now, and in fairness, these are people that have been kind of vocally outspoken for quite a while. It's just um, on one side, the Labour ones have left over sparks of anti-Semitism um, and the leader's inability to to try and work to anything out worth leaving the EU. And the people on the Conservative side that I've just left have said that the the very crazy small contingent of their party, let's see if this uh, rings any bells with America, the, re- the really crazy right-wing contingent of their party have dominated the entire party. So, hmm. nah, I don't see a parallel, but... It's, it's really right. weird. I think it's a really weird thing. I think, in a lot of respects, not that I want to get all heady at the start of this episode, I think media has a lot to blame with this, um, and that media only ever really sensationalises the, the extremity of belief and opinion, and very, very seldom focuses on the rationale and the reason behind that is that no one wants to read about a rational man that did the rational thing resulting in an outcome that everyone expects you know what i mean that doesn't make for good news but if you can if you can start making people think that you know immigrants are coming over and taking your jobs um fyi they're not um or the reason that you don't have money in your pocket is because uh unelected body which exists you know Many countries away, you know, like several plane journeys away from where you are, um, is regulating things so badly in your country that you can't do certain things and can't look after the populace. Which, once again, is factually inaccurate. When you when you uh, perpetuate that message over and over again and give it a spotlight, then some people will succumb to that message. Um, the the vast majority of people on this planet, believe it or not are not extremists and sit kind of in the centre of the political wheel. <laughs> so, uh, but that's not that's not what you would see if you look just generally at, at the way people are voting just now in the world. It's kind of crazy. Um, and all I can do is sit back and hope, for hope's sake, that things are sorted in about 16, 17 years when my daughter is looking to buy a house or maybe go to uni and all the other things that you bequeath your children Um Moving forward, you know, the the idea of having an, a chance for prosperity, having a life better than yours, because we are going out our way just now, like so colossally out our way just now to doom things for the next three generations. And I don't, I, right? Yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand the self destructive nature that's going around just now, and people just have the blinders on. You know what I mean? If we do this, everything will be right, and the world is much more complicated than a. If we're not in Europe, the you know our country will be better. That's not how it works. I, um, and as I, we can see with the amount of large organisations, there's a airline company went under this week. One of the big bigger airline companies in the UK basically went into administration, citing Brexit as the reason. Um, I think three major foreign car builders have said that in the next year they're closing down their factories in the UK and moving out because of Brexit. So this is thousands upon thousands of jobs. And still when they speak to the average person on the street, they blame Europe. It's <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. 
I don't like see in my job, see if I fuck up, I'm held accountable. See if I say no, it was a guy that worked for the company across the road. They don't go and fire him. No, I get fired. Because that's how that's how it's supposed to work. In politics, bro, you can fuck up as much as you want and then say something and people believe you because they trust you. You're in a position of trust, which is mostly abused. So um yeah, all I'm yeah. gonna say is dictators sometimes have it right. Just do away with it because you've seen where your vote gets you. It gets you fucking nowhere. So, um, yeah, not, not yeah. that I'm fully advocating for a dictatorship. I'm just saying I'm not against that at the moment. Um, well, uh, I mean, that, that's a dark path, of course. <laughs> I, you know, here, here's the thing is there, uh, there are growth pains and, and there was a period prior to this where there was a, a vast expansion of what you might call progressive, you know, politics and thinking and that kind of thing. And there will, this is the backlash of that. And I think that the, the trend is always towards the, the more progressive stuff. It's just that there are people that you're going to have to drag with you kicking and screaming and they're head scratchingly. They're going to do as much damage to themselves as they can on their way towards the future. And I, but yeah, I see what you're saying, but I kind of disagree. I think the trend towards uh, being progressive has resulted in a, a huge level of complacency because these people that are progressives don't fucking vote. Cause see if they did vote, you wouldn't have this. This, this well, is that's the problem. Like, yeah, well, you're saying they're dragging people kicking and screaming. They're not dragging people kicking and screaming because if they were dragging people kicking and screaming, they would be out voting for things instead of at the sideline bitching that the thing they didn't vote in happened. Hey, brother, that's what's happening in the U.S. Like those midterms, we had record numbers of people voting. And we had our numbers are tiny in comparison to how the rest of the world votes in elections. I understand that. But look, man, we, the fact that we got as many people off the couch as we did is impressive. And we also happened to elect one of the most, if if not enviable, one of the most interesting freshman classes of uh, the Congress that we've ever seen. I mean, there's never been a class that that's this, this female, this young, this progressive, and and also this bold, like they they have come in and kicked down the door and said like the yeah the the millennials are here, and it's it's kind of refreshing and a lot of people uh, are feeling energized and I'm one of them uh, that yes there's a lot of heinous dark shit happening in this country but the the flip side of that is it has ignited a lot of people and and there's there's real positivity. Like there's a big focus for, for sure on, you know, the, the racism and, uh, the anti, I don't know that xenophobia, uh, not anti xenophobia, just good old fashioned xenophobia, um, that somebody like Trump has, has fostered in this country. But, uh, I think, I, I do think that is the minority. I think it's a loud minority, but it's a minority. And most of the yeah, people. Yeah, it is a minority. I just don't think for, I just don't think it's, what I'm saying to you is, yes, you, you're in a position just now that, you know, a, a fairly good group of people have been elected. But if you look historically, presidents tend not to do well in midterms anyway. And, 
if Donald Trump was and is as bad as, you know, we know he is, there shouldn't have been, you know, I mean, even with gerrymandering, he shouldn't have retained um, Congress. He shouldn't retain Congress, even even if you've set the, the card so high. Yeah, still, but, I mean... So, and that's with, that's with being, like, what can only be described as maybe one of the loudest idiots on the planet right now. <laughs> Um, you know I, what I mean? Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. He is he is one of the most vocal dummies uh, on, so, yeah, on the in, uh, on the global stage. Which so, is so what I'm saying is, and your your next election is a while away. It doesn't seem like a while away, but it is a while away. And yes, it energizes things, and things do get energized. But I saw how quick the the energy dissipated from the Obama election, where everyone was energized. Um, so what I'm saying to you is that that's not enough. Having energy just now is not enough. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Um, and people sure. need to condition condition themselves thusly. Right. I just think, not that I want to, because I am technically a millennial. I'm I'm at the, the furthest end of what can be, I'm like the old millennial. That is literally the, the, the term millennial just covers my age range and no more. And um, what I'm saying is that there are people that are classed as millennials, that are a lot younger than me, that are fucking complacent, lazy shits. Sure. And they, they have interest for, they have the MTV levels of interest in that it lasts for maybe a song and then they're off. And that's that's the problem. You need to keep engaging with them. And that is a fucking challenge. Well, a, that is a huge challenge. And, the, and here's some more good news for you, Duncan, because uh, this show about one of the happiest shows on television is nothing if not about good news. But here, if you're in the States and you're progressively minded like myself, another thing that's real good news is that statistically speaking, the generation even now that's graduating, like all those Parkland kids and shit, that they are incredibly active. They are incredibly mobilized and they are incredibly progressive. And those are the people coming up behind the millennials. So even if this millennial g- generation shows some complacency, even if their heart's in the right place and just don't have the, the I don't know, the motivation to or the follow through to get the hard shit done, this generation behind them seems to be all about it. And 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 like I said, there's there are a lot of good signs in this country. Who knows if it's going to be too little too late for a number of the problems that we have in front of us, but there's a real, like I, I, I'll, I will say that I wake up more optimistic now than I did a year ago. I, I, I kind of was the same way. And then I heard that Bernie was running again for president. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that right. are Bernie bros, Bernie bros out there. A lot of Bernie's uh, talking points and opinions are just eloquent eloquent versions of trump opinions so right yes, but I, I don't strong policy on certain things which yeah. I would say are not that far removed from xenophobia so um i'm just saying be, be beware of beware of false idols Paul. hey well i mean bernie's not my guy i'm i'm probably a warren person uh i've i've liked her since before she was in politics mm. when she was uh back in the consumer like uh, consumer advocacy days yeah, uh, I, I was a big fan of hers then, and have remained so. And so she's kind of my gal. I, I I think she's the one person that, that I can say has had 
the same message since before she ever ran for uh, an elected office mm-hmm. and and is coming to the presidency with that that framework in mind of uh you know how how do you try to ferret out the bad money that has gotten into politics that is really at the root of a number of our problems you oh, know yeah. yeah you remove that problem and a lot of the other problems die on the vine so um anyway uh that's your politics <laughs> minute from bo and duncan but yes, both our countries are stupid and have done stupid things to ourselves. I, I just want to say, sixty-six percent of my country didn't vote to leave Europe. That's democracy, ladies and gents. Sure, majority, majority of Scots did not want to leave Europe and were leaving anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, welcome to the UK. I know, uh, I know. Where the sun doesn't set for I don't know about four hours on the Empire these days, as I as I like to call it a. America's mini me at the moment, honestly. Yeah, we're it's... heading we're heading that way so hard right now. It's like I'm I'm cool with degrees of consumerism from America coming over because I think when it comes to commerce, you guys really have tapped into that. Get what you want when you want, as loud as you want, or as quiet or as big as you want. And all that. We're, we're, I'm fine with that. I am one hundred percent fine with that. But it's 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 other things that are slowly making their way over here. That make me just want to beat my head off a wall, um, and it's it's and no offense to I love you all, but you have a, a particularly thick strain, and when I see thick, I mean as an intellectually challenged strain of your populace, which unfortunately is is like 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 a T virus starting to migrate over here. A whole hell of a lot of people in here are starting to starting to get dumb, starting to get dumb, and it's because they're doing a lot of things which. Uh, it's coming from your country, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those social medias. <coughs> Look, man, all that Silicon Valley shit is dumbing some peeps down. All, all I can do is what I have done, which is to ignore all of it as much as possible. <laughs> like that's what that—that's what all of this can do. Like all yeah. of that would go away overnight if people were just like, you know what, fuck Facebook and Twitter, and just stopped. Yeah, you know. Anyway. Uh, let's talk about something that we can. <laughs> but all- thanks for downloading this podcast on Apple's own podcast downloader. Or checking it out via the web. Um, please don't get rid of those. Or interacting with us through our Facebook groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just download the podcast. It's fine. We'll tell. <laughs> we'll tell you everything. I'm the one who can solve your problems. Bo can solve your problems. Yeah. Oh, I just highlight everything. <laughs> God, if I could, Duncan, I just want a cult so bad. I I'm I'm the sort of like Bo's the sort of guy that would would come in and uh, you know fix your house and tidy things up and make everything organized and neat. I'm the guy that comes in and tells him he's missed a bit. Right, <laughs> Mister Fix It. You're my odd job. You know, you've missed you missed that bit over there. Do you know that, Bo? Do you know that? And you're like Duncan. I've just spent the last three days rearranging everything. Yeah, but you missed that tiny little bit over there. I know you can't see it, but I can see it. You missed it. Right. And that, that's why eventually Duncan will just be that slight depression in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just you know, keep dumping dirt on top of it. Keeps sinking. It's weird. It's so weird. So Ground is weird, ask- right? Um, <laughs> you were about to ask me about good and bad, I'm sure. I was about to ask you about good and bad, so uh, don't keep me waiting. 
Let's kick off with the bads uh, for Podcast Under the Stairs for the Italian uh, collection. Uh, I recently started, so 88 films are distributed over here, have this Italian collection. also have a thing called the Slasher Classic Session uh, section, which I've started buying, so I review them every Sunday. I alternate around, so one weekend you get a, a Italian classic, um, and then the other one you get a slasher classic, apparently. Uh, and as a part of that, I knew it was going to happen. I'm only three into the slasher series, but it was on the horizon. <clears throat> it was Don't Go Into the Woods Alone, which is a video nasty um, from the UK. It's also awful. And I remember not liking it when I, I had my nasty podcast. Um, I remember really not liking it, and then watching it in HD just made me like it even less. Uh, I would actively say I hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, it, well, first of all, the title is too much. Like, it goes too far. Like, well, in the UK, need... it's don't... In the UK, once again, highlighting the differences between our nations. In the UK, it was don't go in the woods. In America, it was don't go in the woods alone. Right. Um, Either way, it's... don't go in the woods is all you need to say. Yeah. The Stay alone is too much. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Um the acting is awful. The effects are not good. The the villain slasher animal creature hybrid man thing in it is is just a walking garbage pile. He's like literally that's what he, he just wears garbage. Oh, it's and not. I, I thought it was a slasher movie. It's a monster. Oh, movie. No, it is. No, 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 it is. But it's about a guy who's been living in the woods alone or raised by the animals in the woods. Um, Which animals? And he, walk, he, he walks around. Um, Wearing just like I don't even know it's rubbish is what he's wearing. Um but over his face for some reason he's got what I can only describe as a set of Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> Does he throw them at his victims? No, he just runs the place throwing twigs at people, which like sharpened twigs, which if they hit someone, the person looks like they've been struck with a fucking Spartan javelin. Um, it's just like honestly, you've never like, if you've never seen it before, don't. Um, but it is truly one of the more inept entries in the in the nasty collection. Um, and yeah, why eighty eight films felt the need to lump it as a slasher classic? Um, I think they're playing footloose and fancy free with the the term classic, but it has no redeeming features at all. As as easily. And then I would like I know some people online in my group are like, no, nah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, Duncan. It's it's fun. It's not fun though. It's not fun in the way like I'm like other badly made movies are fun. Because I don't think at one second anyone making this movie thought they were making a good movie. And that's how you, you that's the very definition of how you make a good bad movie. Is someone has to go in and think they are making a movie that will change lives. And it fails on every level. That is that. That is the ethos behind, you know, a terrible, great movie. Right, um, right. Like the people who made Winter Beast were trying to make a good. They movie. were they were going to change the landscape of horror, movie, and they right? did, and they they totally succeeded. They succeeded. They succeeded. It took a decade and, and many mustache mis- shifts, but you know they 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 achieved that. Where a movie like Don't Go in the Woods goes wrong is that there's no one involved with this project at all that has any talent. And I think they just know that. And as a result, they're just kind of happy just to trudge along. It's terrible. Right. It's like the the kind of filmmaking that brings to mind, like when Paul Rudd had to clean his tray in Wet Hot American Summer. Just that, like, dragging the feet like he's on the enhanced atmosphere of the planet 
mercury. Yep. Yep. It's just not good. It's not good. So yeah, that was my that was my bad. Glad to get that one out of the way. Um and that's, what my... don't go near the woods by yourself, <laughs> yeah. Charlie Brown. That's the movie. That's yes. seek it out. You may have trouble finding it. Um the movie that I'll highlight as good though. Uh, was one that I also did for my podcast. I've been doing a lot of watching for the podcast recently. Um, I put this one out. I've started a thing called Choose Your Own Horror Podcast Adventure, where basically I will pick movies I've never seen before. I put them up in a poll, and the listeners get to vote on the ones they think I should see. And then when I finish that one, I'll then tangentially pick four other films, try to get them in different... So it's not going to be four nature run up movies. It's going to be four completely different genres, but they'll be tangentially linked back. So the first one, the first poll I put up, uh, up, people unanimously voted for Bug by William Friedkin, a movie Mm -hmm. that I'd never seen before. Never seen before. Um, And turns out my listeners kick ass, because that movie rocked my fucking house. I loved it. I I haven't seen it either. It's incredible. It's it's the movie that gave us uh, Michael Shannon. So, like, before that, he had been a stage actor, in fact, acting this play. I, Logan, I play Logan Freak the and brought him over. So, he, like, no, he plays, like, you know what it's like? It's like a modern, claustrophobic take on the conversation. Mm, the okay, Hackman's yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. Right, yeah, sure, like the last scene, uh, scene here on Duncan and Bo Come Correct. That's right, yeah. So, it's like, imagine that end scene where he's just, you know, destroying his house. Yeah, when he destroying. he's off his nut is what yeah. doctors say. Yeah, imagine a movie that's an hour and 40 long and for the last hour and 10 minutes of that, that's what you have. But it's Michael Shannon and he's convinced there's microscopic bugs that the government have put in him in an egg sac in his tooth. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great and Ashley Judd's in it um, and I am a big fan of Ashley Judd um, and this is maybe her best role she's incredible in it um, so yeah and William Friedkin directing so you've got you've got Michael Shannon Ashley Judd and the director of The Exorcist and French Connection you know what I'm saying it's, it's kind of awesome so yeah loved it highly recommend it it is an uncomfortable claustrophobic paranoid little watch but um yeah kind of incredible so that is all i have to say about that what about yourself bowl uh i've been watching movies duncan no question about <laughs> that uh oh dear. sorry let me find my list okay here's my bad um so i saw await further instructions i've not heard of this okay it's uh on netflix and Here's the reason that I ended up uh, watching it is that I had seen some people referring to it as somewhat uh, either cosmic slash Cronenbergian. Oh, those are key words, bro. Uh, yeah, but words I like, Duncan. <laughs> and uh, that is, so the, the premise of the movie is that uh, a bunch of English people are getting together for Christmas. And the old dude, what was the head of the Red Wedding on Game of Thrones, uh-huh. um, is the grandfather, and he's real racist. And the the son coming home for Christmas has a girlfriend who's, I don't know, maybe Pakistani, doesn't matter, just not totally white. And he's just like, eh, hey, look at her. And uh, anyway, that's pretty much all he says in the movie. 
And then that night, like immediately the holiday is going south. So the son and the daughter, uh, the, the girlfriend are like, Hey, before anybody gets up tomorrow, we're going to fuck off out of here. Cause this sucks. But before they can get out of there, uh, there's like some metal plate over the door and all the windows. And there's just a message on the television that says, await further instructions. All right. And then they start getting other messages through the television that are like, hey, we're going to give you some vaccines. We need you to inject it in everyone. And there's an argument about like, we don't know what the fuck is going on, but somebody shoves a packet of syringes through a slit. And now we're expected to just shoot each other up. And, And it gets progressively... More uh, demanding of their compliance until it ends with some vaguely Cronenbergian stuff. And it's... You don't sound as excited as I was expecting. I, You know, I wanted it to be a lot cooler than it was. Instead, it, it just feels real low budget. And it's okay, but... By the time you get to the end of it, it's just like, yeah, 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 let's just, let's wrap this up. Because it's not even that it's overly long, it's just that it's so dry and it's so telegraphed. Like, everything that happens in the film, you pretty much know what's coming. And uh, and, and by the way, the, the poster art is like, that's the coolest thing that happens in the movie, and it happens at the end. You know? And it's that's kind of a bummer too, uh, that all the like, hey, there are tentacles coming out of this guy's mouth. That seems pretty rocking, and it happens for like ten minutes at the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's disappointing. But Duncan, I caught up to the movie Braid. Ah, right. So this is still on my list of things to watch, and this was the one you were looking forward to when we last recorded. I was looking forward to it, and I uh, turns out I enjoyed it. It is very trippy. Um, it plays around a lot with perception. The characters mm-hmm. are often possibly on drugs, but maybe not, but probably. <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot of narrative uncertainty as to like what is happening here. Okay, and and when it all comes together, it's like oh okay, well this all kind of makes sense. But eh, fine, it, it's more about the journey than the destination on this one, where mm-hmm. it's it is very weird and interesting and strangely gothic, and also there's some statement being made about women, but I don't know exactly what it is. Cause I'm not very smart, <laughs> uh, but something, it feels like it's, it's saying something that I'm just not quite getting. Uh, and I need to watch it more, but, uh, it's, it's a really cool movie. It's, it, it reminds me weirdly. Um, there was a movie called, are we not cats? That yeah, it's still not out over here yet. It's it's not a great movie, but there's a visual style to it that's very gritty and kind of real. Mm. Um, that I I do like in that film, and there's there's a, a hint of that in Braid, except that Braid is much more colorful and and trippy, which is a mm. word I know I've used twice now. But it, yeah, <laughs> it, it but that's how it is. I mean, it's like watching someone's 
altered perceptions of a drug trip mm. and 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 that is visually communicated at times and it's it's cool it's really interesting and and weird and i've never seen anything quite like it and i enjoyed it quite a bit i liked it so, nice yeah. nice it's on, it's on my list it's just not available in the uk yet so and uh a quick shout out also to a short film called a hair wolf that is on hbo it's about i don't know like 15 minutes long if that um that is about um a a, a couple of of uh, black shops being invaded by uh millennial white girls that are stealing the culture and it's very <laughs> funny it's it, it it's really clever and i thought it was wonderful so uh if you get an opportunity uh check out hair wolf um, especially since this is, you know, Black History Month and there's not um, always as much black horror as you would like to sing the praises of. Everybody talks about fucking Candyman. Uh, I'm I'm singing the praises of Hairwolf, Duncan. <laughs> Did you watch the uh, horror noir yet? Uh, I haven't watched it, uh, which, which sucks, uh, both because I, I need to watch it and also our own Ashley Blackwell was uh, part of it. Uh, yes, she is indeed. I got all excited when she appeared on the screen. Um, it's good. It's good. I, I think it's really good. I think it's really good at highlighting specifically certain points where um, uh, racial tension or progressive pushes towards racial equality were happening in conjunction with when the movies were coming out. I will say, uh, if anything, the only thing I was kind of disappointed with is I don't necessarily think they bring anything new at the table film-wise. Um, I think some of the film suggestions are very safe from from my knowledge of the, the kind of black horror side of things, I was kind of hoping for a couple of further deep dives um, that they that they don't touch on. Although they did play a clip for uh, one of my favourite black exploitation horror movies of all time, uh, Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Uh, oh, which sure. It's a true fucking joy to watch um, because it's just a uh, d- different level, different level. People are all running about the place talking about how happy they are watching Black Dynamite and that's cool. You can be happy. I'm happy as well that you like Black Dynamite. But, um, yeah, you go back and watch some of those movies. Woo! You know what I mean? I mean, you're time. talking to someone who's seen Blackenstein, the Black Frankenstein. Yes, it's not a good movie. No. They do talk about that one and how bad it is. Although they do lump that one in the same breath as Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, and I did want to spit in the screen when they said that. I was like, no, no, no. One is terrible. The other one is awesome. Is there some uh, Sugar Hill love? Yes, there is. Yeah, like, like I'm saying, the ones that are at the forefront of your mind... Are the ones that they but but for a documentary that like there has never been a documentary to my knowledge about this subject, so maybe the first one has to be the hey by the way did you know black people were in horror movies too yeah yeah I mean props to them for mentioning Ganja and Hess I mean that's a movie that doesn't get nearly enough love Um, yeah that's great but. But like like I say they are mentioning I don't know someone told me that the documentary wasn't aimed at me. Or like that. They didn't make it for, you know, like proper hardcore cinephiles. They're making it for people that have an interest in horror that maybe haven't taken a dive there yet. And I understand that. Right. I just find the subject matter wholly interesting and kind of hoped it went went in some directions it didn't. The talking heads though are fucking brilliant. Um 
not only our mutual friend from the podcasting world, uh, but some of the professors they have in, and just some of the actors, just like get great. Um, you will have a blast watching it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm excited, and you know, I'm I'm willing to concede the the notion of like, hey, if the first one is more the like 101 level cores. The the one that I'm interested in is like well give me the 200 level documentary now yeah you know which I think you're right on some level you have to if you're reading a book on anything you have to lay down the ground rules before you move ahead I completely understand that um, I don't know I like it is very very well put together and considering this is a guy who is the guy who directed it basically this is just I think his first full length movie right out of university. Um, uh, you know, from that point of view, I, I couldn't be couldn't be happier to see someone doing something because there's so many. I am almost like sick now of the let's do a making of that movie you really like. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was about yeah. Six, six last year, and I'm like that. Yeah, right, I love enough. that, but that to me is a lazy way in filmmaking. Unless, unless, Bo, there was a particularly fraught production and the story has never been told, then I'm all in. But it's it, they're basically glorified featurettes from a Blu-ray at the moment, right? Um, Filating the film and not really yeah, telling the story but, of the production, but, which is you know, which to me is, I mean, there's a time and place for that. Generally, when you when you buy a collector's version of a Blu-ray, I expect you know of a movie, I expect that on there. But there's only so many. I mean, Fright Night is one of yeah, we love Fright Night. Safe to say that, Bo, isn't it? Oh, are you kidding me? That's one of yeah. I, I was just. The the other day in a conversation about how uh, Fright Night is way better than Lost Boys. <laughs> well, I'm not, I wouldn't actually disagree with you there, I, I, but I, I'm not gonna. I have no like huge urge to go away and check that Fright Night doc at all. I you know I've seen it because I love Fright Night so very very much, Duncan. And I gotta say that because um, it was coming out of you know, oh, who is the director? Tommy, uh, is Tommy Wallace? Is that who directed that? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that Tom Holland had, uh, something to do with the making of, uh, the documentary. And so it, it, it's, it's much more about like, uh, you know, here were the challenges of the practical effects and here's how the casting worked and that kind of thing. And it's interesting, but it doesn't necessarily feel, authentic and it's also a little long yeah and but yeah it's it's the one of those that kind of as much as i love fright night it kind of put me off those kinds of movies yeah there's just so many of them coming out now and i think that's just maybe in the back of of my kind of brain is that i'm like do it no i'll just watch the movie i just, I mean, just, just let me watch the movie um so yeah i'm i'm, ske- I'm skeptical of them whereas you get something like a horror noir that comes out that's like tackling something ambitious and putting in like a new view on it uh, and it just so happens that new view is people actually involved with it you know people that are were black actors trying to get roles back in the 70s yeah. that were academics studying it where black actors who were working in the 90s and wondering why there's a great bit with the girl from um the craft uh, Rachel True yeah 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 and she literally says and like they then show you clips of her doing it there's only so many ways you can ask the white character in a movie 
oh, what's going on with you or what's wrong? And then they show you a montage of her in about five or six different movies repeating that same line because that's what that character is there to do. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's when you see it with that one, you're like, yeah, we have we have a lot to atone for uh, in cinema. And I think we're getting there. I think Jordan Peele definitely, the, the last half an hour is basically stroking Jordan Peele off and rightly so, um, right. you know, saying like, get out is this incredible film. And then they go, they deep dive even further into things that I hadn't seen in the movie. And it just made me think, you know, this movie is maybe one of the most clever movies ever written. Um, just all the symbolism, the things that we had picked out, there's so much that we hadn't seen uh, or hadn't made out. And then they start talking about that. They talk about what ending the original, what to shoot. We all know that story anyway, um, and all the rest. And then they start showing you some clips of that new movies got coming up, Us, which, you know, you might as well just, you might as well just give him the, this is the movie I want to see award for this year. Like, above all others, the two trailers for that movie have fucking blown me away. Tonally, completely different as well. That first trailer kind of played it off as like a dark horror comedy, and then that second trailer was something ripped from my nightmares and put on screen. So, yeah. I haven't, I I haven't mean, watched it. I haven't watched uh, oh, the second trailer. Oh, the second trailer, trailer is, is like... But I don't need to. I, like, I know I'm going to see it. I'm like, just, I don't... I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not actively I, avoiding it, but I'm not seeking it out either. I'm just yeah, like, eh. I, I've, you know my opinion on trailers, and I hear people moan about. I, I hear people moaning about the Pet Cemetery trailer like a week ago. It gives too much away. It gives this massive plot point away. Uh, things were so much better in the old days, you know. Things were, and they actually weren't. If you watch trailers for movies from the seventies, they're usually three minutes long, and the narrator tells you everything that's going to happen in the movie. Trust me, go and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, Trailer, you know, the fate that befell these kids when they found this house and were attacked by a maniac who had a chainsaw. You know, it, it tells you the whole fucking movie. You right, know what I mean? But that, I, yeah, I'm putting the 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 onus of this problem square on the viewer. Yeah. Of like, hey, you know, oh, that trailer spoiled some for me. Were you excited about the movie? Uh-huh. Were you going to go see it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Then what the fuck are you watching trailers for, man? Yeah, but I, that... I don't think it's. But yeah, I don't think. Here's, here's my counter to that. I don't think there's anything wrong with watching a trailer for a movie and getting excited about going. My issue is when people bitch about the the effect of watching a trailer, right. In a negative light. I that's the bit that I I can't stomach. Your, your option, you're right, is to watch or not watch. But if you're going to watch. Don't base the entire movie, and then it's people that retroactively fix, quote unquote, fix. The thing I read today is that there's a Kickstarter flying around that's received a, a ridiculous amount of money to edit the end of Scorsese's The Departed because they don't like the last shot of the rat. What? I'm not. That's... I'm not fucking. I'm not joking you. I'm not joking you. They think that the the message of you know don't be a rat um, in that movie. Uh, the, the metaphor or the symbolism uh, because he actually shows a rat at the last shot of the movie crawling along uh, like a pipe or something like that is, is Scorsese playing to the dumber aspects of cinema to dumber people because we all got that and then he had to show us it so there is a Kickstarter that has raised an obscene amount of money already to have that edited out and can I just tell you that will not happen. That is a futile mission. That movie's rights are owned by a studio that will never let you do that. And also, go fuck yourself. Like, Stop I've, it. Two yeah. seconds before the end. I mean, that, but welcome welcome to the world. The new Suspiria trailer comes out. Someone recuts it with Goblin because they don't like fucking 
What's his chops Tom from? Tom York's. Yeah, they don't like. So, yeah. and then you get bloody disgusting saying, how much cooler is this trailer with the Goblin soundtrack? Is the Goblin soundtrack going to be in it when I see the movie in the cinema? No. So you setting up false expectation by doing that? Yes. Go fuck yourself, bloody disgusting. There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. This is the, like the new Hellboy trailer. Oh, there's too much humour in it. Because there's no humour in comic books and there's never been any humor. I mean, you didn't laugh once during those Guillermo del Toro movies, which everyone's now saying, give it back to him. And I'm like, that, there was more humour in those movies. Don't know if you know that. And anyway, right. it's Neil fucking Marshall, the guy that gave you The Descent, and Tug Soldiers doing a Hellboy movie. Sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. It drives me mad, honestly. That this is that this is the world. It's not. It's not this. You know, it's the the fucking cult of me. You yeah. started me, boy. You started me on politics. And now you've got me in fan culture and how toxic it is. Why can't everything be like True Detective, boy? That when you reach seventy, you just have a mind blank. You get Alzheimer's and you can't remember the horrible things you did twenty years before. And that's what I want. I'm hoping for those. I'm counting them down on the calendar. Episode seven of True Detective, <laughs> season three, Duncan. You it son of a bitch. is entitled The Final Country. <laughs> Which we could say, mm, there's another episode left, so that is The Final Final Country? Or is it The Final Country Part 2? That one's just called The City. <laughs> Remember The Last Exorcist Part 2? Um, <laughs> I do. I Of course I remember The Exorcist Part 2. Because... <laughs> Because there is 15 minutes of that movie that is the most absurd thing a major studio has ever released. Yeah. It wouldn't by any chance be a device that allows you to look at someone and transmit your thoughts and then... It was Inception before someone had worked out what Inception was. Right. It, it like, figured out how to make that interesting or good. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't work out how to use digital effects to bend a city over on top of itself. So instead, what they got... <laughs> What they got is they got Regan to go cockeyed. Um, <laughs> like she just got hit in the head or something. <laughs> got tatered by a coconut. Uh, this is directed by Daniel Sackheim. He says pushing through. Um, mm-hmm. Who, uh, of course, directed um, the uh, Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye and Great War and Modern uh, Memory episodes. And it is the TV director who has done just, good lord, all kinds of shit. Yeah, um, yeah. Back in a safe pair of hands, Pizzolatto has taken us over a couple of the, I'm going to say it, maybe my favourite episodes of True Detective ever. Um, and now he's handing it back to someone else. He's like, I've done all the cool shit, right? Continue. Right. Yeah. Done and done. Here you go. You can take this home. Um, and it's uh, of course written by, uh, uh, Nick Pizzolatto. So, um, we start Duncan, like Mm -hmm. when, when last we left our heroes, uh, Scooter Mick about to die. (laughs) Scooter Mick pink room. Yeah. Was, was standing in the pink room, staring at something off camera and saying, Julie, and then uh, Harris James comes up behind him and, and socks him in the head. And mm-hmm. uh, so we open this time on um, a, a different timeline, one we've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, the, this is this is this is True Detective just slapping me right in the face at the start, saying, 
hopefully you've been keeping up with everything so far because we're about to give you something new. And I was like, because like when I saw it, I was like, all right, so we're in the we're in 2015. Manoy looks a bit younger than that. And is that his daughter? This is the daughter that doesn't speak to him and we still don't know why. Right. Rebecca, who he is uh, taking to college and, you know, he's being real stoic about like, well, really don't want you to go. And uh, I, I just <laughs> He's realized- still talking to him at this point. So something between, because we obviously know she's not, she's not coming home or not talking to him now. Right. So a couple of things we can take away just before we even get into all this, right? Because whilst I've read a couple of things where people are that, they feel like they've introduced this aspect too late and it doesn't show us anything. And actually it shows us fucking loads. Um, It shows that, you know, it looks like um, his wife is dead because she's not there to let the daughter go away to college. You would think she would be there for an event like that. Right, so we're we're assuming that his wife has passed on at this point. They're still in speaking terms at this point. So something that's going to happen is going to happen in between now and the 2015 time frame. So if we assume, what, well, maybe early 2000s this is happening? Yeah, I'm uh, right around the year 2000, I would think, if she's eh, probably maybe 2005, somewhere in that neighborhood. But, like, you know, a good decade before what we're seeing now yeah. in, in 2015. It looks um, like his faculties are still there with him. It looks like he didn't appear to be showing any signs of um, kind of memory loss at that point. But that, I mean, they manifest in different ways. So we, we're not 100% sure. But she's still in speaking terms with him. Oh, and, uh, very affectionate. You know, when, when she's like, I don't want to go either. But, you know, you're going to feel better once you've got some heavy in your hands. When he's like, I love this. Yeah. yeah when he's like, oh, you got my number. Yeah, um, yeah. It's this really nice moment between father and daughter. It's you know, the so the, the day he he sees her off to college. So it's interesting. So they swing this bit in here, um, and like towards the end of the episode, I was starting to think, is this a red herring? And I'll, I'll come to my my thoughts at the end as to why I'm saying this because it seems oddly timed, and it you know we're one episode away from the end, and we don't revisit that now. Uh, we can say that in this episode, we don't revisit. Rebecca, so we're going to find out in the last episode what it is that has stopped her coming home um, or why she doesn't want to spend time with her dad, which was a conversation we got in episode one or two, I think, uh, with the son at the dinner table basically saying, you know, she, she she's not going to come home. She's, she's whenever she was, New York or wherever it was, so she'd be doing art stuff. Um, so, yeah, so, like, this is how you kick it off. So I'm like, whoa, we, we, new, time, new timeline, a lot of information dumped in, like a really small conversation just about how things exist in in the world of his, you know, his his life as it is just now. So, uh, yeah, but I was like you, I was like, are we going to be spending more time here? Because I don't really want to be juggling four timelines, but I really don't. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why we needed this other than maybe to show that there was a point uh, that as an adult or a young adult that Rebecca was not, upset with him yet so Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know you know i have a theory at the end so all right well we'll uh save it till then um (laughs) so then (laughs) then we go to 1990 and uh it's the tower the you know uh, that we saw from was it the first episode even when he goes up the tower yeah the tower in devil's not or devil's park or whatever devil's den 
Yeah, Devil's Den. So this is the big kind of what looks like it was at one point like a lookout tower or something. Um, and we spent a bit of time there because it looked like that's where the kids had been hanging out before they went missing. And uh, he's arrives, he's walking up the stairs and he sees uh, at first um, a little pool of blood. Mm-hmm. And we know, Bo, <laughs> we know at this point something bad's happened. And if I had to put money on it, it's likely happened to Tom. Yeah. And Dorf on Corpses is squatting over the dead body of Scooter McNobreathe. Yeah. And <laughs> who Scooter McNopulse, surely. Yeah. <laughs> who has uh, <laughs> a, apparently shot himself and left a note saying, I'm sorry, uh, I can't go on. I'm going to be with my uh, wife and kids. Oh, I says wife and son. Wife and son, right. Because like, I had to double take on this one because he said wife and son and I was like that. And not his, no, his daughter's alive. His daughter's alive. That's why he killed himself, quote unquote. Right. Um, but yeah, before he killed himself, he took the time to type this up. See, if you kill yourself and you've left a typed message behind, I'm just going to say chances are it's not a suicide. One reason you would ever type anything up is if you are trying to disguise handwriting. Yeah, or your uh, official, like, uh, the George Carlin suicide letter. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. <laughs> what, what it was, to whom it may concern, as you may notice from the body hanging from the rafter, <laughs> I am now dead. This is all your fault. <laughs> I love George Carlin so uh, much. Oh, man. We need more of him. More, more George Carlin in the world, please. Please. Uh, and, it, yeah, yeah, so- and it ends with P.S. Go fuck yourselves. That's what I really like about it. That is, it's an aggressive suicide note of like, oh, I'm not just depressed. It's like, no, you fuckers did this to me. <laughs> you drove me to this. Uh huh. Happy I, now? I really like it. But yeah, so... <laughs> After um, you know, we we discover the body. Hayes goes home, and uh, Amelia is telling him about something from the last episode where she had the dude with the dead eye roll up into yeah, he, her reading. Yeah, he's not interested until she mentions dead eye, and then it's like a light bulb over his head goes off, and he's like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "Well, I, you know, because we've got to remember that Amelia." knows stuff but she's not privy to everything that he well maybe she is we'll get to that as well um one of duncan's theories proved true so um we're gonna, we're gonna come back to that later on um but yeah like he, she knows things but she obviously doesn't know the full level and we remember from that conversation when this guy started asking where um the girl was or did she know where the girl was her answer was dolls. So she remembers this specifically from the investigation that there was a guy with a dead eye that had bought all those devil catchers or whatever they were called um, on the run-up to Halloween. And uh, he may be the the black guy who was with the white woman um, who were seen in the area who may have abducted the kids. Yes. Kind of, maybe. Potentially, yes. But all that seems accurate. Mm, and yeah. uh, so he tells her about Scooter McHead blown off. <laughs> and uh-huh. the, 
And then we go to 2015, where uh, it's him talking to the director. And she asks if Hayes ever thought that uh, it might not have been suicide. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, you know, that's a call for the M.E. Uh, Or medical examiner, Duncan. Oh, not me. No. Medical examiner is what I I thought when he said that, you know, that's a call for uh, the M.E. I thought she was going to counter by saying that's why I asked you the question. Yeah. No, uh, no. So, <laughs> so, no. So, um, he, uh, she is 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 basically telling him like, "Hey, we had this independent examiner go over the findings, and there's a contusion that's a, that it was not made by a gunshot, and so we're pretty sure that." you know, somebody knocked him out and then took him up there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, are you telling me that that never crossed your mind? And he's like, no, we never really thought about that. And then a quick cut to 1990 where he's like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, like, is it not something like, did you, like, cause it's, cause it is almost like, juxtapose the same sentence she says something like did you not feel that this was the 80s playing all over again and he says no and then the next clip is i'm going this feels like the 80s are playing all over again (laughs) i was like yes (laughs) right and like dorf is like you know come on man we did this we drove him to this and uh and and dorf is like the whole case Ultimately, he's like, I don't, we're done. Like, I don't give a shit about any of this. All of this was ultimately about getting you out from behind a desk. Yeah, and- which I really like. I, I like this idea, you know, like, is that I did this for you. you. You thought we were like, I had no interest in the case at all. Obviously, I want to look back over it, but, I, you know, you were wronged. I felt it was horrible the way you had been wronged. And I was, I saw the opportunity to finally get you back doing stuff that you wanted to do. And you know, and, and you know, get you back out there, um, and that's like it's weird because obviously they've been estranged for you can only imagine maybe about ten years as partners, and then, and this plays into how he is in twenty fifteen as well. This idea of there's something between these two guys. There's a respect and a friendship between them, which even if things are in the way, I mean, this is like basically this scene here is. Um, kind of the inverse of what's happening in 2015 isn't it because Hayes is really on some level selfishly of course but and you can maybe argue in the 90s it's selfish as well from Roland's point of view but in the in the 2015 timeline um it's Roland that's kind of given up he's a guy that's living off the grid he's a guy that doesn't have he's a guy that wells up you know when when talking about the fact that he doesn't have kids he doesn't have a family no one to look after him, no one to talk to, no one to sit and, you know, waste away the hours, wasting time in ways that you can't imagine because he's invented them, no one to watch a game with or anything like that. It's it's he that's on that level and weirdly it's Hayes that's kind of given them the reason to keep going. So it's like this weird, like, kind of inverse of that. In the 90s, that's what Roland's trying to do for Hayes. You know what I mean? He's trying to get him back doing something that he feels that like he should do. You know, give him give him some meaning to his career, a career which he's kind of basically given up on. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I agree. Really well, yeah, really it's, well written. Really it's, well written. It's very cool. It turns out <laughs> uh, Nick Pizzolatto <laughs> is rightfully successful. Um, so <laughs> Hayes, despite all all the good intentions of Dorf on charity, is mm-hmm. like I don't. I want to keep going. Like we're close on this. And, and Dorf is just like, what do we have? Like we've got nothing. And that's when one of my favorite moments of this episode happens when Hayes is like, yeah, you've been drinking already today. When Dorf is just like, fuck you, man. (laughs) And just takes off. It's great. The the guy who's been looking at you, the guy who basically uh, whose life I turned around made him right. five years sober, has just killed himself, and it's probably our fault, and you're going to ask me if I've had a drink? Right. Oh, yeah, right. None of your... Like, I just got done telling you I was doing everything in my power just to help your career. Mm-hmm. And your response to that is to give me shit. He's is a dick. He's, <laughs> I'm he, like, he's, yeah. a gr- he's a great character, and, you know, he's our hero that we're stuck with. And, and modern day he's, you know, has lost all the memories of how dickish he is, but he is a dick, like, to everyone. <laughs> right, and just to show how sad it's going to be when Dorf dies in the next episode, because you know that's fucking happening. I think it's going to be the other way around. I think it's Hayes that's going to die. Oh, if only. I wish. But I think... I think, I think Hayes is going to go out. In a blaze of glory. <laughs> well, I never drew first, but I forgot how this goes. <laughs> it's just, it's just a ten, ten minute sequence, and uh, he's trying to remember how to fire a gun. It's uh-huh. <laughs> got pointing the wrong way. <laughs> Wait, did I ever draw first? Maybe I did. No, I never drew first. <laughs> Maybe oh, I like, drew first. Yeah, he'd be he'd be shit as Dirty Harry, you know. Yeah. Did I fire five bullets or six? Did I have a gun? Are you are you shot? Where am I? Maybe it was two. <laughs> am hey. I the criminal? <laughs> Why am I pointing at you, Grandma? Where is that pie? I love so very much. Oh dear, <laughs> we, we should not be making fun of people that are afflicted with any condition to do with memory. Oh, loss. it's right around the corner for me, Duncan. It's gotta <laughs> be the thing that does me in. It just only seems right. I'm just waiting for it to happen so I can then pitch the idea of going through Twin Peaks as a podcast from the start. <laughs> yeah, we should do that sometime. Um, Lord, that'd be nice. <laughs> you um, were going to say that. So, but yeah, he's, he's a super prick. That's what we've come to the conclusion of. Yeah, he's is a prick. He's a real jerk. And and to emphasize how much better a person Dorf is, we cut back to 1980, where it's uh, Dorf on being a human Muppet or something, <laughs> strolling up to Tom, who's like, this is Tom Purcell at the point of. I my my wife is gone. My kids yep. are gone. Mm-hmm. My life is shit. Yep, a maniac's blown himself up in a house. It is. He basically has the the same plan that Nicolas Cage has in Leaving Las Vegas, <laughs> where he's just like, I'm gonna go somewhere and I'm gonna drink till I'm fucking dead. Yeah, and Dorf is like, huh. 
seems extreme. <laughs> and he's, <laughs> he, and, and, and in fairness, he's just like, who the fuck do I have left to worry about me? You know, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. I'm alone in this world. And I'm about to just put the, you know, the rudder down and nosedive into the earth. Uh, yeah. As opposed to just cruise along till I die of natural causes. And, and Dorf, again, because he's just the nicest guy on this show, is like, here, take my card. And he's like, fuck your card. And he's like, look, <laughs> be cool, man. Just... <laughs> You don't have to call me right away. You may never need to, but if you are ever in a jam, here it is. You may not need it, but if you do, you have it. And you're just like, man, it's going to suck when you die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, not only is it going to suck when you die, the the AG is going gonna, is gonna to pin everything on you. Right. Because oh, apparently, sure. apparently in this town, you can only prosecute someone when they die. <laughs> well, but it, I don't know if you know that. Well, but I mean, it's this, they point it out in this episode, but it's just, well, this is a convenient scapegoat. Yeah. Because, hey, here's someone who can't defend themselves. We've got just enough evidence to link them, and it and makes the problem go away for another 10 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, going back to 1990... Amelia goes to Lucy's chubby pal's house. Yeah, so right, so this is there, once again a lot of stuff happens here, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna take back my theory that uh, chubby pal was involved with the kidnapping. I don't think it now. I, I originally thought she might be the aunt that they were on about, and I'll have a different theory on that one. So stick with me because I'll be unleashing that theory in the next 20 minutes um, and it's a, it's a good one. Uh, but yeah, she's clearly not the aunt and what's interesting about it is she is stuck not because she's a return woman because that'd be hilarious. Um, so it's stuck in her chair. Uh, Duncan. Duncan. Uh, oh dear. Oh. Anyway, um, no, she's a fat she's... shaming motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would punch you right in the face if I didn't have a coffee cake in that hand. <laughs> it's delicious, by the way. Thanks for asking. But she's um, she stayed even after Tom left and fucking Lucy left she stayed and she's kind of stuck in this horrible half-life so to speak if you know what I mean in that she's she's living but just and she is always haunted by the events that happened like always haunted and makes you wonder if maybe she was maybe the a better mother to those kids than well it's not even makes me wonder she probably was a better mother to those kids than than Lucy ever was and kind of feels like it's her duty to remain there. In fact, she says pretty much that. And and when right. when well, she's leaving, 
Yeah. Somebody has to stay. Somebody has to remember is what she says. And yeah, I mean, it's really haunting and tragic. There's almost like a Mrs. Haversham kind of quality to it. Yes. Yes, very much so. And um, but what we get once again, we get something, we get something kind of cool here, bro. We get another little tidbit of evidence, evidence. So she, she happens, the last picture she has of the kids trick or treating was at her front door. And um, she shows Amelia, and Amelia's eyes train very, very quickly to the two Michael Myers human-sized fucking ghosts standing at the back, like a couple of stunt doubles from Beetlejuice, um, <laughs> <laughs> like standing at the back. But what captures uh, Amelia's attention straight away is that the hands of one of those people are the hands of a black person, and she's now thinking, could this be our mysterious black man? who was paired with the white woman that was reported in the area at the time. Right. And she can, like, the friend can place the 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 guy with the dead eye. Uh, what, can she place him at the club, or was that later? It's later on. Oh, okay. But, because uh, she's like, well, Lucy never went with, you know, black people. Mm-hmm. And it was like, eh. Well, yeah, but, but, but then again, right, the show's trying enough. to be authentic, so... <laughs> sure, like, I get it. And, uh, but yeah, so, there's this really sad moment prior to the, you know, someone has to stay. Someone has to remember. Um, <laughs> where... For some reason, she became Scottish there. <laughs> yeah. So, Amelia is like, well, it's it tragic, you know? Yeah. Um, someone has to stay, someone has to remember, someone has to hold this grudge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Who else will remember how much I hate them? Um, but Amelia is like, hey, can I you know, borrow this picture? And she's like, no. Yeah. And she no. pretty much says it like that. <laughs> and Amelia's like, fine. All right, lady. And then finally she's leaving. And then the, the woman runs after her. And it's like, I'll, if you come back tomorrow, you said you'd come back tomorrow if you take the picture. Will you do that? And she's like, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. And she's like, okay, then you can take the picture. And it's this really sad moment of like, oh my God. Right. Like, Did you know that the internet lost her shit about this scene? Oh, really? Why? Yeah, there's a continuity error in it, which Nick has come out and said, no, it's just a continuity error. It's, it's not me trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Um, the picture she hands over is different from the picture that she sees. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like the car's in a different position or something, but what the internet theory was, which, like I say, Nick Pisolato's come out and said, no, nope, you're looking too much into it. It's an editing error. I'm really sorry. Just let go. Um, is that you don't see her. She's walking out the door, and then she runs after her with a photo, and the theory was that she'd switched photos. And what's sure. the chances that she would have taken two fucking photos <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, let's be let's be fair. So he shot that down, but yeah, the internet kind of got kind of got a little bit oh, 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 over it, and uh, no, yeah, all right, well, uh, knock it off, internet. That's stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we go to 2015, where um, Hayes is talking about how Amelia had decided uh, against a sequel, mm-hmm. and uh, Dorf shows up in 2015 and is like, all right, let's see what's going on here. And yeah, he's coming to protect his investment. Cause I think since he's found out that he's doing this interview, not only is he there as a friend, but I genuinely think, think he thinks that he's is going to say something that maybe he shouldn't. 
Yeah, yeah. Even though Hayes assures him, like you know, I know, I know when to not talk about that. Well, he yeah. says that he says that he can't remember what they did, and if he does remember, he remember not to say it. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of like, huh? So, hmm? <laughs> so here we get a little bit of fan service, Duncan. Oh, you see a little bit of fan service. I I I rewatched this scene three times because I was like, bah, bah, bah. I was like, what? Although I think this is genuinely Nick Pistolato having fun. Yes, I don't think this is going to play anything at all. But right, no, very it, much so. It 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 hints at a grand conspiracy because that's what the director wants to see here. Yeah. And it's what the audience wants to see and everything. Like, like everybody wants season four of True Detective to be, like, the crossover episode and shit. But I think everyone wants season three to be, like, before it even started, everyone wanted season three to be season one. And I kind of think this is Nick having fun. Yes. You know and, what I mean? Like, uh, almost, uh. But, but it, no. it's the director talking about how that the dolls that were used are often used as code for pedophile well, she, mentions that the, she mentions the guy's name first. She calls him, what's that? West. Is it West? Uh, Watts. Watts. Um, so she mentions that name and you instantly we see on Hayes' face, he'd never heard this name. He never knew who the guy was. Yeah. So he'd never got a name before. So she had more information. Uh, so she And she says that he is a a trans... trans not a transformer. <laughs> a transformer, that's right. <laughs> a robot in disguise. Uh-huh. He's more than meets the eye, Duncan, because he only has one. Yeah, he's he's um, there's a specific term for the what his job is in human trafficking. Oh, uh, he's a procurer. Procurer, that's what it is. And they lay these these dolls out as markers, um, specifically in other cases, which she then cites, including a symbol, Bo, which at first looked like a triangle moving in on itself, like a triangular maze. Um, but in the bottom corner is then twisted into a spiral bow. Yep. And, and my, my season one senses started twitching. <laughs> and then she actually just like, hey, here's some pictures of season one. And it's like, you know, these two detectives were on the hunt of a serial killer that was tied to this pedophile ring that nothing really ever came of it. But, you know, they they were nibbling at the edges of something. Yeah. And... Uh- his claims to kind of know about this case, maybe. Rising. Yeah, I, heard, about I heard something about season one, how good it was. <laughs> so, just never had the time to watch it. Heard that season two uh, wasn't very good, but uh, Duncan and Bo kind of liked it. Yeah, I, I thought maybe I'd just skip right on over it, but they made a pretty <laughs> good case. And said Vince Vaughn was kind of a revelation. <laughs> Colin Farrell as well. Yeah, Colin I Farrell's hope. really. I mean, but really uh, that's not a surprise at this point. Like, yeah, it's like shock, shock horror. Colin Farrell is actually a good actor, um, right? It's like if Vigo Mortensen it turns in a really good performance. It's like, well, no shit. Yeah, like we're, they're really pushing the boat to find these unheard of names before starring in the next season of True Detective. Steve Buscemi, <laughs> right? Ed Norton and Steve Buscemi. I would fucking oh, watch are you the shit out of that. Now that I've said it, I'm like, oh my that's god, that's what I want. Where he's, 
Arch villain has to be played by Anthony Hopkins. He'd be the the head of whatever pedophile ring. All right, no, no, no. All right, so you, all right, let me let me pitch this to you this way. Steve Steve Buscemi is the cop who's about to retire. Who's almost (laughs) the uh, Morgan Freeman character from Seven. Oh yeah, you've got me. All right, Uh, Ed Norton is uh, has one last shot at getting out of the department and into more of the political arena. Like it, like it. All right. He looks a sort. He looks a sort. Uh huh. That like he's, I don't know, like a head detective, but hey, he could make a push to run for office Mm -hmm. and like be an AG or something like that. And they, their paths cross over a case that neither of them wants. Oh yes. Okay. And then they, they have to kind of under the radar follow this case, which is ultimately going to lead them to the villain who is going to be played. Mm, here's where I need your help, Duncan. Well, originally I wanted Anthony Hopkins. I know, but I... Yeah. Uh, played by a... Ooh, right, let's get... Um, oh, played by William Hart. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah, William Hart. Get him in there. Oh. Oh, and you bring Jeremy oh. Saulnier back for the whole season. He does the whole season, right? Yep. He does the whole season except one episode. One episode is directed by Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yeah, get him in there. And it, you just like one episode that doesn't quite make sense, but deals with really esoteric, weird, occulty shit, and he comes in to do that episode. Yeah, it's episode seven where William Hurt shows up and you realize that he's been behind it all along. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fuck. I'm in. That's our job done. Like, someone call HBO. <laughs> tell, yeah. Tell Nick Pizzolatto we got most of uh, four worked out for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all good. But yeah, so like, the, she shows them the pictures of uh, Cole and um, the other guy's name escapes me. Oh, the other, the, the Woody Harrison's character. Um, she shows the pictures and mentions that. Then we obviously can uh, expand this out into there are she mentions specifically their one she mentions in nebraska as well i think that's um, right yep and, yeah and then she she's obviously like, maybe arkansas was as well maybe maybe this could have been one of them and he's not what well, once again he's is like that trying to get her out the door because he's got a bit of information he's desperately trying to hold on in his brain um and he knows what his memory's like and he might forget it so he's like yeah i never kind of thought nah Nah. Yeah, that all sounds crazy, and we're done. I'm sorry, I don't have the answers we're, you're looking for. I apologize. <laughs> now, uh, if you'll excuse me, I need to rush to my friend. What? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Before I but forget. Meanwhile, well, meanwhile, Roland's talking to um, he's his son, and is basically saying, you know, like, I, you know, concerned about, you know, st- he might see some stuff that he did. And the son's like, what did my dad do? And he's like, ah, nothing you need to worry about, kid. It's <laughs> murdered a man. But we're okay. We're okay. No one's no saying murder. All right. So Everything's we, we cut back, by the way, to 1990 before we wrap up with the director, um, where uh, we have tracked down Uncle Dan's motel room. Yep. Which they find, and it's kind of tossed. You know, it looks like somebody's kind of been through there or out of there in a hurry. And see, see, I wondered if that was, or I wondered if that was the after effect of the fight. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just, this is what it looked like after uh, Tom gave Uncle Dan the business for being a creep. <laughs> Cry kicked him in the nuts. Yeah. The greatest thing ever. Dan, it does not seem like Dan had a great 48 hours or so. <laughs> 
And if he's if he's not dead, he's on the run just now. We know he is dead though, because the directors told us in a previous episode that his body showed up. Right. And and I mean, I don't know that we're ever going to see that because there's a point in even this episode where they're like that that's burned, like he's we're fucking done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, we'll get there. So, uh, and well, no, it's the scene. As a matter of fact, <laughs> as I look at my notes, but uh, yeah, sorry. Boy, it's like time travel sometimes, Duncan. Um, so it's a flat circle. I hope you know. Yeah. Pinprick a lot. That little pinprick a lot up there. Uh, but yeah, so uh, now that Uncle Dan is gone uh, and most likely dead, they're like, okay, well, we're we're good and fucked. The, this investigation has no more yeah. leads. Yeah, and- that's that was our last lead, and now that's kind of ran dry. It's academic now. The you know the AG's done what he's going to do. We've done everything we can do. We're not happy with the result, but we're just going to kind of have to live with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, and then we we flash forward to 2015 where essentially that's kind of what Hayes is telling the director, you know, like, Hey, I, I wish, I, I wish I had the answers. Um, but I don't, and yeah. I, I don't believe there's any kind of conspiracy. And then we cut to 1980 real quick where, uh, Hayes is, uh, washing dishes and, uh, has clearly been going through the notes on Amelia's book. Yeah, clear, clearly, clearly, as I said, my theory has panned through. She is sapping him for information because this is news to him that she's writing anything. Right. This is shortly after them fucking. And he's like, what are you working on? And she's like, eh, it's going to be an article. And he's like, like, <laughs> like for the paper. I love this because it's as spirals out because it's like she's almost seen what she can get away with. She's like building it because she's like, yeah, an, an article is like for the paper. And she's like, well, maybe a magazine or something and then she's like well you know maybe a book <laughs> right but but this is where he fucks himself oh yeah because completely. Like, well, he, he fucks himself and i think this is maybe one of the reasons he ends up with a desk job ball right because he ends up telling her like i'm fine with it and she's oh, says, like let's get them yeah he basically says let's fucking tear a hole in this case well people ought to know is what he says people ought to know yeah. what happened here and she says well this could negatively affect your career and he's like fuck it fuck them yeah like yeah. the people should know about these kids and and so he is given his not not even implicit permission he is giving her express permission to write this book so yeah, so, to, to, yeah any which is interesting when we see how he behaves towards her in the future Right, that's the thing, is like all his self-righteousness about this book, it's like, no, motherfucker, like, you had this conversation. Yeah, you you, you said it, you said it in a moment of anger, maybe you didn't mean it at the time, but you said it, and she's going to do it. The, the interesting thing is she says that what she wants to do is do the, the, the kind of wider piece on how it affects the lives of him, just not like a straight true crime novel. Uh, it's going to be, the, it's going to be looking at the after effect on the Tim. Uh, and how it changed, which I think is the the more interesting part. Right. Um, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she invokes the name of uh, In Cold Blood here uh, yeah. as as her template. And so then we go to 2015, and this is where the director is saying all the stuff about the uh, about Watts being the procurer, and the the uh, the dolls are a code, and um, then Dorf 
is, is talking to jerk face uh, about like, <laughs> hey, do you know that Purple is sitting in his office going through the book at night? He's like, yeah, I had an idea. He's like, do you know he was doing it with a loaded gun? <laughs> and the son's like, is this show being written by Nick Pesolau? <laughs> yeah, he's like, boy, that's dark. Huh. This is like something that would happen in True Detective. This is a kind of Pesolau shade of dark. That's that's what I do. See, like, I, I wanted to buy some black paint for um, some work that I'm having done in the garden just now. And when I went to buy it, they asked me what shade of black I wanted. And I said, Pesolau. And it's the blackest black. <laughs> Give give me pizzolato dark, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Truly, no light will escape it. Because um, that's how that's how dark this man writes. Yeah, um, but yeah, so he tells his son obviously about the gun, which I am hoping the son does not remove at a vital time later on, causing his dad to die. Just saying. One of Duncan's seven theories about what's going to happen in the last episode wouldn't that be a shitter? Yeah, the, <laughs> so our son removes the bullets. Oh, that would be uh, if Jerkface somehow causes. Would even you more put it problems. past? Would you put it past Nick Pesolato? Oh, of course to not. Give you the bleakest of black endings of all time. Just saying. If it turns out Jerkface is in on it. Well, see, I've got I've got other theories. I don't think Jerkface is in on it, but Whams have Rollins in on it. I thought about that during this episode as well of like what what if he was ultimately covering like if that's the turn for the character if it's yeah. not hey he's been such a great guy just so we can really break your heart and kill him but because I was been- wondering yeah I was wondering if maybe they did the maybe you know how he says it's been like 24 years since he saw him what happens if it isn't 24 years right. what happens if this is like we talked about memento right at the start what if this is like a memento scenario where Dorf is kind of almost like the a uh, Joe Pantaleone character, and that every five years or something, you know, he shows up with some vague memory and he basically takes some rim the mill of all these things to satisfy him just so he can get him away again. Yeah, yeah, just unlikely, so. unlikely, but uh, right. But it would be fun just because it would it would be fun to see Joey Pant show up in the final episode of True Detective. <laughs> He, he doesn't like to fly? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Has anyone ever come through that door with a complaint about me? One, th- Not one time has anyone ever come in and complained about me. <laughs> Fucking love it. Well, that's another commentary. That's a future commentary uh-huh. that they run. Has to be. It's one of the greatest movies ever fucking made. <laughs> Who wants donuts? Yeah, oh, it's a, that movie's the fucking best. <laughs> was he, was he uh, a big guy? No, no, he was kind of small. Yeah, <laughs> Black hair? No, he was blonde. Yeah, sounds like our guy. <laughs> yeah. Are you red? No. Uh, that What was the litmus configuration is what he gets Oh, at. yeah, Charles yeah. Grodin, man, honestly. He is, he is the absolute best at that movie. <laughs> Jack? <laughs> Are you gonna are you gonna put that out? You know that you're killing not only yourself but you're killing me as as well. <laughs> no, I'm not putting it out. Would you would you um, put it out? Why aren't you why aren't you popular with the Chicago police, Jack? 
why don't you shut the fuck up? Like, that is half the movie is that conversation. That's the and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's the one time, I think, that, that Robert De Niro has ever been truly funny in a movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I like analyze this. It, it's fine, but... But he's playing, he's not really, he's playing roles he's done before just slightly right. animated but, whereas but, in midnight run i think he is actually genuinely he's not trying to be funny he's just playing it straight and that's what's funny yeah yeah i mean right that that's what sells it is like in in uh analyze this and analyze that it, it it's a funny performance but it's him doing well, it's a, a caricature version of what he's done in mobster movies right so. whereas midnight run of like him you know, like Marvin, when you are the dumbest motherfucker, like that stuff. When he just gets so frustrated with Marvin, yeah, that's some of the best stuff. <laughs> Look out, Marvin! Yeah, punch H and Alfonso morning. Oh, my God. oh, all right, all right. Well, yeah. uh, bring it back, bring it back. Sorry, I could just, I could, I could do Midnight Run all day. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's in my it's in my top five comedies of all time. Yeah, easily. Yeah, it's it's one of the best. It's got a great soundtrack too. I think Danny Elfman, I think, does the score. I think it. you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So anyway, so this is the point where Hayes is like, I think we're done here, and like with the director in 2015, and um, you know, she's like, Don't you want to know the answers? He's like, Look, I don't have any answers. And he has a great line here when when he says, I'm tired of walking through the graveyard. Yeah. But meanwhile, he is totally not done. This is the point where he goes to Dorf and is like, you are never going to believe what she said. That crazy white bitch just gave me the name of the guy we've been looking for. He's like, write it down because I'll forget it. Yeah. And, and, and Dorf's like, come on, maybe we're just, I've been thinking about this more and more. I'm thinking about it. Maybe we're just wasting our time here. And what we're going to do, we're old guys. And all right, so just take the name down. Right, well, and Dorf asks him, like, is this what Amelia would have wanted? And he's like, yeah, she told me. She was sitting in that chair right there about yeah. two days ago, and my crazy brain had Amelia tell me to do just this thing. <laughs> and at that point, Dorf's like, all right, I guess. If your ghost wife said we have to keep on, I suppose, on we shall keep. Yep, the uh, ghost wife, the sequel to Ghost Dog. Or, or um, Ghost Dad. Or ghost, but yours is better. Um. <laughs> no, the ghost is gonna put the pill in the coke. Sorry, it's spooky when the ghost gets to the raping and the roping. <laughs> <laughs> the raping and the roping. Uh, yeah. Bo's autobiography coming twenty twenty two. Oh, if only. Um. All right, and then we go. <laughs> then we go. Memoirs of a podcaster. <laughs> oh man. Uh, then we go back to 1990, Duncan, where mm -hmm. uh, Amelia is interviewing Lucy's old boss at the Corn Pone or whatever it's called, the bar, <laughs> the Sugar Shack, and uh, he he's like, "You ever see Lucy talking to uh, a guy missing an eye?" And he's like. No, well, yeah, because we'll, we'll skip. We'll skip the thing. We'll, we'll skip the scene, like because the reason she's there is because Hayes is getting ready to leave the office, and this copper comes up and says, "Oh, by the way, this information you were looking for has finally come through about phone records." Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, because yeah, he's he packing then, up his shit. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, he's ready to close the case down and he's like that, oh, well, maybe I could stay a bit longer and look at it. Meanwhile, his wife's beeping him because she's got to go out and do some follow-up investigation, but Hayes is in the zone and he starts noticing some patterns, then lifts the phone, pretends that he's Roland uh, to get the flight manifest um, from, I, I want to say it was a, it's a private air. Uh, oh, it was like no, multiple was- airstrips in the area. Yeah, so he pulls in that information. Meanwhile, Amelia has to get the two kids up in the middle of the night, put them in a car, and drive it to this bar. Cue the bar scene. Right, where she's talking to, you know, kind of the dirtbag owner of this place. I'm sure he's just a small businessman. He's probably not. Always <laughs> uh, shitting on the man. This is how Trump got in, Bo. I know, yeah, sorry. You're right, you're right. That was un, uh, uh, unapologetically um, <laughs> presumptuous of me. So, <laughs> this guy who's clearly a nice guy and not in any way a dirtbag. Um, <laughs> associates himself with villains. Right. Lie down with, with dogs, Duncan. You wake up with fleas. <laughs> but uh, he's like, yeah, I never really saw Lucy talking to this dude. But you know Dan, her crazy brother? Or, you know, whatever. The dude that she, you know, grew up with as a brother and probably almost certainly fucked uh, when they lost their virginity, mm-hmm. according to Dan, at least. Um, you've got uh, to think, though, you've got to think that probably happened. Oh, well, he pretty much says as much. That mm-hmm. they we shared all our, you know, milestones. Uh, he said that back in, like, the last episode, I think. Episode mm-hmm. before, somewhere in that neighborhood. Where it's just like, ew, ew. <laughs> I think I know what you mean, Dan, and you're gross. Um, so when she asks about, uh, Dan, um, he, he's like, yeah, uh, I've seen Dan with this dude with the, with the dead eye. Mm-hmm. And so now we have the connection, you know, not only is Amelia seeing this dude showing up, we know that this guy is named Watts. We know that he is, he was meeting with Dan, that he, he knew the family. At yeah, least I broke, you know, like, in, in the next five minutes, Bo, I'm going to break this case wide open with Duncan's theory, so. All right, great. So, uh, da, 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 and, uh, Hayes shows up at uh, Dorf's house. Well, also, she's while she's getting information, she looks around and the kids are missing. So she has, like, the, she has the same version of what Hayes went through at the Walmart, where she turns around and she can't see the kids. She rushes out and they're sleeping in the car. So this kind of panic. Really of the case getting to them now. They're so heavily involved with it that they're so hypervigilant of everything around their kids. Well, not only that, but they they let their obsession with the case put them in a position where in uh, Amelia's uh, situation where she's kind of put them in this position where something might happen to them. You know, like having kids in the backseat of a car of a bar uh, or the parking lot of a bar at night is never great. Mm-hmm. Just as a rule. I mean, I'm no yeah. parent, Duncan. You tell me. Maybe yeah, you, I, I, maybe you do fr- it more than I do. It's frowned upon is all I'm going to say. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. See, that's what I'm getting at. And uh, anyway, so she's like, you know, oh, okay, that rushes to the car and they're fine, but right. It's, you know, the point is made. And, mm-hmm. uh, so then, uh, Hayes shows up at Dorf's house and he's like, I got the whole thing. <laughs> and so he got records back. So he knows that there were phone calls to Harris James 
in the the time leading up to Lucy's death, and yeah, there's like eight within twenty four hours, right? And then there's a plane records that uh, show that he flew into Vegas the over... day before the murder, yes, and then flew back the day after, which means he had time to play the slots ball. Right, and he's like, "We got him." All and and so the plan is they took want... in a show, maybe saw Britney Spears, <laughs> some Penn and Teller. <laughs> you have to when you're in Vegas. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Well, I mean, I know I gotta murder somebody and all, but I'm gonna play the penny slots. You know, I mean, <laughs> can't win if you don't play. Am I right? <laughs> uh, and... And so, the, while Hayes is laying out, like, we can do this. We, we we can put some pressure on him, and he'll roll over on Hoyt. We know that this is, this is where all this goes. And mm-hmm. we need to do this for Tom. Help me do this for Tom. It's what Tom would want us to do. And there's a great point where Dorf is like, you don't have to keep saying that, Purple. Yeah. Because not- it's also... The dickest move he's done this whole episode. Right. It's worse than saying, have you been drinking already? (laughs) He's literally now saying, remember that guy that you were mourning about later on? Do it for him. Right. But he even says, like, I'm not simple. And I love that. Just like, just knock it off. You're not nearly as smart as you think you are uh, when it comes to manipulating folk. And uh, (laughs) then we go to 2015. And we are out at uh, the park, and it's it's Dorf and Hayes. Mm-hmm. And they have tracked down the maid that worked in uh, the Hoyt house. Yes. Which we had heard about before. Like, he, he, those are the addresses that Jerkface tracked down. And um, we get the story of Isabel Hoyt. Or whatever her name yeah. was. After this the is marriage. where the case gets broken wide open. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, like, at this point, I, like you're not breaking anything at this point, Duncan. This is just what happened. No. Well, I, yeah, let me let me fill in some gaps then. Okay, fair enough. And when it's not the most obvious thing that's happened, I'll let you know. So, <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> so, uh, what happened was, back in the day, um, Isabel Hoyt... Uh, got married, had a kid. In 1977, there was a car accident where the husband and um, the, the daughter, daughter were killed. And Isabel never got over it. So uh, Watts, who was the, uh, the, the like house servant for the Hoyt family, I'm sure there's a less indelicate way to put that but that's kind of what he was because the way that the uh the maid describes it she was like he didn't really associate with any of us it was like he worked for the hoyts Mm -hmm. and like drove isabel around and was kind of taking care of her when she was all crazy pants so isabel all right I, i here's the break in the case right like i think this is what's happened here and and all you tell me when my theory and yours are are diverge cool. okay so isabel and wads decided that they were going to hang out and and take a kid a replacement 
for the child that Isabel lost because Mm -hmm. the maid says at a certain point, she just started staying away from everybody. And the only person that ever saw her was, uh, Mr. June was what they called him. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically taking care of Isabel and the fake daughter who is being called Mary now, which is why she's all like, julie purcell is all crazy later mary july as well so mr june and mary july exactly so um so all that was going on she finally gets away from them and that's why watch shows up in 1990 and it's like hey do you know where she is um and what am i leaving out and then so you, and then you hoyt are missing was, stuff hoyt was covering stuff. all this up mm. You're missing stuff. Uh, I, let me let me throw some shine on what I actually think happened. Right? Oh, okay. Here's so, what really happened. It's a little bit clue for you. Um, it's one plus two plus two plus one. Um, what you have is right. Um, you missed like something out specifically to do with uh, the Hoyt Isabel woman, uh, Isabel Hoyt. Um, not only did she lose her like husband and child in a car accident, she then tried to commit suicide by car. Oh, right, that. right, right, right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I didn't put that yeah, in my she, so, Yeah, and they make very brief ref- reference to an attending officer, who I'm just going to say is He's the guy... Harris James. Harris, that's how he gets involved with the family. Probably paid hush money at the time not to say something, um, and then becomes part of that organization. That's why he plants the evidence, um, which he then finds at um, Woodard's house and stuff. So that's how he gets involved in. I don't think they're... So basically, the, the black and white person driving around, so the black man and white woman, is obviously, it's Mr. June and it's Isabel Hoyt. Right. In the new car driving around. However, I don't think they kidnapped anyone. Oh, yeah. You think that maybe... So what well, happened... I think I think Lucy sold her her kids. Okay. Or Lucy sold her daughter. So this is my theory. She sold her daughter. That's where she got the money to go to Vegas. That's why she was propped up living in Vegas. That's I why think, the kid uh, with the son was looking for her. Yeah, and because, I think yeah, okay. he must have seen something which resulted in his death. Um, and so, yeah. So I also think, um, and we pretty much know this, uh, Lucy wrote the, the ransom note. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and that's why she quoted the same line from it, kids deserve to laugh or whatever it was. That's why she mentioned it to Amelia. So I think she wrote that as a way to get Tom to let go um, of the whole thing. But basically she at some point has, and they they talk about this very quickly with Harris James later on, so I'm not going too much into it. But Lucy's obviously ran out of whatever money she was getting. This money being funneled through the Hoyt. So Hoyt arranges for the, the purchase of the girl, right? who then gets kept in that fucking pink room. Um, And Hoy obviously is funneling money for Lucy and probably the uncle as well, who I imagine brokered the deal, Um, Uncle Dan. uh, That's why he knows so much about it. He's funneling the money through that charity that they have at the Hoyt thing, because that seems to be who's paying out the money to... Uh, Lucy, um, there's some conversation at some point. She maybe asks for more money, maybe threatens to go public, and Harris James goes and takes care of some bee snatch. So, yeah, no kidnapping, I think. Uh, well, kidnapping as in I don't think the daughter wanted to go, but as in 
like Lissy Soltar. Right, right. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a an abduction in the way that we think of like uh, the the stuff from season one where it seemed yeah. to be a pedophile ring. Although yeah. I'm sure that you could buy kids for that purpose, but in yeah. this case, it was. Yeah, I don't think it's a pedophile ring at all. I think that's the red herring and showing that bit earlier on. I actually think it's a. a uh, in some ways, an uh, equally insidious story about someone who can buy a kid to right, replace it, a, de- a dead child. So and, that you and know, fuck and someone up I, for life by insisting that they're someone that they're not. Yeah, yeah. You get you get them, and then you brainwash them to think that they're not. But also, she was sent like because we heard this earlier on, and it's something that we glossed over, not in our one, but the show glossed over it. That this kid went to a Catholic school as well, and I think that's when they've escaped. So it's almost as if she's got to certain age, so they've sent her away to a private Catholic school and she ran from there. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's where they've not been able to get her. So that's that's my theory laying it all out. That's what I think has happened. It explains how Ash James got involved uh with the family. It explains, you know, a bit more of the who was the black man, who was a white woman, the fancy car and all the rest. Um, so I, th- I think that's the meat of the bones of what really happened in the eighties. And then I'm willing to plug my by the way, the AG was working on behalf of Hoyt. Total, think you're right. With, yeah, with Total, your right. theory, and then we have the whole show. Yeah, I think I think Hoyt basically says, "Let's get the kid. The son dying was an accident. Obviously, didn't mean it to happen. You must make this go away." Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, listeners, uh, you don't bother been... listening to next week's episode. Yeah, we're <laughs> all done closed. here. Um. No. So. <laughs> At the end of this conversation where we crack the case, uh, uh, Hayes has a real, you know, I'm not all there moment where he sees, I think it's the granddaughter of this maid, daughter or granddaughter, something like that, comes up to the table where they're talking outside in this park. And uh, Hayes is like, I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at his his mental problem. I'm laughing at Dorf's response to it because it's perfect. Where yeah. he's like, Rebecca? And she's like, huh? And he's like, well, I, I got to get you to college. And hey, uh, Dorf, on being cool, is immediately like, oh, Purple, not, not right now. Just in a little bit, you're going to take her. And mm-hmm. uh, he's like, yeah, but I got to take her. And he's like, yeah, you will. Just not right now. He's like, well, all right. And it, it's like, man, I've seen that move before. It is so yeah. perfectly done uh, in this. And it, it's really sad, you know, to see uh, Hayes as a character brought low. But again, as the show goes on, it's like, eh, he's more of a jerk every episode. And I'm kind of okay with the fact that <laughs> maybe the curse of I've only had one obsession in life and it's been this case. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's all he could remember now is is sort of a bitter sort of justice, perhaps. But um, at any rate, because I have a I have a pet theory that maybe Rebecca ain't doing so hot. I've got a pet theory that Rebecca ain't with us anymore. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> that that I think everybody, hid- I think they're hiding it from him because of his memory. So right, that just something might have happened, or there was a car accident, or something, or. Who knows? Or maybe Hoyt exacted revenge. Or maybe Hoyt exacted revenge, yeah. Ooh, that'd be rough. That'd be a real Nick Pizzolatto thing to do. Of course it would be. (laughs) 
So, but after Dorf steps steps in and and helps him out on the way back from that, um, he apologizes for the Harris James stuff when mm-hmm. he's just like, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry for making you do that, you know, that that was wrong, and then to get a good idea of how wrong it was. Oh yeah, <laughs> we cut back to 1990. Where Hayes and Dorf are on a stakeout, uh, waiting for Harris James, uh, and they, you know, follow him in his car. It's late at night. They're, you know, this one of those things that's like this is super off the books. They know that yeah, they're about yeah. to go fuck this guy up. Yeah, they they clocked off a while ago. Yeah. So there is a great scene that because I have been watching for a future episode of uh, podcast over the stairs. I've been watching a lot of Coen Brothers of late, and I've mm-hmm. been watching it all chronologically, which means I rewatched Blood Simple again recently. Such a good movie, and it's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, eh. uh, <laughs> easy, him and it, and and Russia. Sometimes you're sometimes you're. Emmett uh, Walsh sounds like um, a kid doing the sound of a motorbike traveling really fast past you. Yeah, it's not that his voice is very much like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Russia, they don't have motorboats. You understand? Uh, <laughs> water's frozen. See, they have bobsleds instead of motorboats. That's in Russia. Now, what you want me to do is kill a man. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Can we I, discuss that movie? I just me, you uh, and dog, me, you and dog. Uh, that, is, yeah. that episode is going to be so much fun. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, but the reason I invoke the the holy name of Blood Simple is because this scene reminded me of that. Of when, course it did. When <laughs> they pull over Harris James, who is like, this is a fucked up situation. And I'm not, like, he's not a compliant kind of guy. No, um, he's he's very, he, he's well aware of what his rights are, and he's kind of appealing to their sense of justice by almost poking fun at what they're trying to do. But but when and it, his his mind he he thinks right, really up to this point he still kind of has the upper hand, and he probably does to an extent when we know how this the end of this episode runs. Yeah, there's there's the point though where Mahershala Ali shows up in the passenger window. Yeah, where <laughs> not only in the passenger with a gun, yeah. seat. Yeah, gets in with him, and at that point he's just like. Okay, look, guys, we can talk about this. Like this, yeah. nobody has to do anything crazy here. Yeah. And uh, Marshall is like, "Did you see him going for his gun?" He's like, "Whoa, whoa, no, I was not going for my gun. Uh, that is bullshit." He's got a gun. <laughs> He's got a gun. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Uh, anyway, <laughs> before we go into Cronenbergian territory yet again, but. Um, like when they are like, we've got to get him out of this car and the way that he is just holding on to the steering wheel and they have to just pry his hands off of like, it is a him being like, if I, if they pull me out of this car, my chances of survival go down a lot. 
and I'm yeah. going to do everything I can to not let that happen. And it's it reminded me of Adriana being pulled out of the car in Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's real fucking raw. And sure enough, we take him to the fucking barn, Duncan. Yeah, we we, we take him to uh yeah, <laughs> kind of dilapidated barn house, handcuff him to a post, and then um, I think it's, the kids call it roughing him up. Man, this episode goes full horror movie for a second, where the music this is whole just season, like this whole season has been playing with like like this season and the first season particularly are not is not scared. To, to let its horror flag fly at all. Yeah. It's really dark and really fucking sinister. Yeah, like, this is, uh, like, Twin Peaksian mm-hmm. in terms of, like, it reminds me of Twin Peaks, the return of just the headlights coming onto this barn and showing the hollowed-out interior of it. And, yeah. it, it like, the music is just like... what i love about it as well is you know the only purpose of taking him to this barn is to give him something to be attached to i mean the barn's fucked so it's not as if it's going to mask the sound of uncrime but there's no one around anyway and the the, the roof's all gone so it's not as if if it rains it's going to keep the rain off them this is purely because it's off the grid and they can time to a fucking post i think because it's open like that and they're just like no go ahead scream please yeah I think that's part of the psychology of it, of like, that oh, would yeah. be fucked up if someone was like, no, 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 we're not closing any doors because it don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is the the terrifying aspect of it all. And, and yeah, and then they go to fucking town on him. And it's Dorf with a, just Dorf on gloves <laughs> with a pair of, like, black Italian racing gloves or something and just wades in. And punches this dude in the ribs and stomach. Yeah. Dorf became a jello killer for some reason. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, the uh, the soundtrack to Piercing begins playing. Oh, yeah. Tenebrae plays in the background. <laughs> oh, was that in a, another movie, too? Mm-hmm. Oh. Huh. <laughs> it was good music. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, it is yeah, so the best. He beats the fuck out of him. And meanwhile, Hayes is still asking him questions. And he basically put out a kind of theory, not too dissimilar to what we've already talked about, but Harris James, and you can never really tell with him. He's a slimy guy, but he's like, listen, I would never have anything to do with a kid. I've got kids. I would never do anything to harm a kid. Um, which did get me thinking. Do we know? Here's like here's a here's a fucked up idea. Do we know who Harris James's kid is? No. Are you saying it could be the director? Could be the director. All I'm saying, she seems like intensely preoccupied with that one body being found. She right. mentioned that about three or four times already. She not really mentioned. Like Tom's only just been mentioned, and the Uncle Dan's been mentioned once, but she's mentioned Harris James's body about two or three times, which makes me think she either definitely one hundred percent knows they did it, and she wants to get them to crack on camera, or this is all just a ploy. Um, but anyway, that's our theory for the next episode. But yeah, like geez, he's like, I would never do anything not to hurt a, a girl and all the rest, and then he really, I love this actor as well. He really starts to lean into that. Oh, something's wrong. I think you, I think you really. 
you've done something to me, something inside, something's not right inside me. And uh, leans over. And at first he mentions that a couple of times, then he takes a swift knee to the ribs and he kind of drops and then he really starts going into this, what can only be described as Emmy award-winning performance of Dying Man. Um, yeah, and now we get a touch of Miller's Crossing here. <laughs> Just for shits and gigs. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's, he's You can't take me like, out here in the woods to die like an animal. He's he's really starting to lean over into it, and of the two people that would crack, I never thought for one second Hayes would crack first. I thought Roland would, obviously, um, but no, Hayes is like, oh, I think. Do you know how hard you hit him? All the rest is like hit him kind of hard. So as he's unclicking the uh, handcuffs, and a scene that we all know because we've watched *Lethal Weapon* and we know how the bussy rolls. Um, yeah, he he does the kind of switcheroo kind of wrestle thing grabs Hayes' gun and um, Roland shoots him in the ribcage but doesn't kill him <laughs> no Hayes is the one that kills him Hayes puts a bullet in his head uh-huh well first the, in the side and then yeah. in the head and then then they're like oh we done fucked up and um you get the feeling this is probably what severed the relationship of the two because Roland is irate Hayes just feels like, well, there's our only lead. And Roland is like, look what you made me do. Yeah, well, it, like because it was Hayes pushing him to do all of this. Yeah. And it Plus led to he, him killing. Like, and that's what he's pissed off about is like, you made me kill somebody. Yeah, I think. But there's also, this is things that we've talked about all the way through this. that The fact that, um, you know, Roland will shoot animals. But when he was in the army, he when he was in Vietnam, he didn't kill people. He fixed things. It was Hayes that was the man killer, and yeah. Hayes, you know, you know what I mean. Like that's that's who, like so. You get this opinion that even in law enforcement, they come from con- completely different levels of comfort around death. Like Hayes will put, drop a man, you know what I mean. Whereas what we're rolling that that's going to weigh on him for a while. Where Hayes is just going to wash over him. It's just another one. I mean, Hayes was more conflicted about shooting Woodard. And I get the feeling it was only because they served in the military together rather than, you know, I have to put this guy down. Um, it's just, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting thing. And I get the feeling this is what's what ultimately compounds things um, and leads to the end of this episode, which, by the way, having gone back through... Um, threads online and all the rest this scene at the end of this was mentioned like two episodes ago um he says that he's you know um he says to roland and i don't know if roland knows this when they first meet back up together that um hoyt visited them the day after it oh right 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 yeah so this is us filling in so once again had i paid more attention this last scene wouldn't have been that big a surprise to me like it fucking was um but yeah, so I get the feeling that Roland didn't know about this. I also think, and we're going to talk about the end just in a couple of seconds here, and then we're really going to get into why it is that uh, he's left the force and why that second book never happened. Right, right. Because that does come up of like, uh, there, maybe there was going to be a sequel, but no. Um, yeah, and I think we find out really quickly why that is and why he's never pursued the case any further. He said he made a promise not to do it and then i think i know where that promise is coming from Uh all right all right well we'll get to it here we're almost uh almost at the end there there is one great moment when uh, they have to bury the body like literally bury the body and so uh as they're doing that or after they they have done this um 
they're discussing the events of the evening and Dorf blows up and calls uh Oh so this is an amazing scene. Yeah, when he goes, You stupid uppity and Marshall Holly is like, What? Say it. Say it, Roland. And he's like, No, I won't. It's enough that you know I'm thinking it. Yeah. And and here's what I like about this. This I think is what makes uh Dorf uh on racism even better in this scene. Is that he's like, I hate that word. Yeah. I'm not going to say it because of how much I hate that word. But the fact that you have me so angry that it's the word that came to mind, I want you to know that and how yeah. disgusted I feel about myself, about everything that's happened tonight. It's, it's great dialogue. It's delivered brilliant. It's just, once again, underlining how well this fucking season's been written and how well it's been acted. Yeah, just right across, right across the board. I think thus far we've got one episode left. I think maybe this show's put maybe two steps wrong in seven episodes, and I, you know, what I mean, I, I, I can't help but get giddy when I see scenes like this because Dorf is like just he's MVP in almost every episode. It's brilliant. Yeah, he's really killing it. It's it's impressive. Um, so then we cut to uh, 2015. Yeah. Where um, uh, James was on the scene uh, at, at the Isabel car accident, like we're, we're getting the info about, like you know, it, where Harris James uh, put together the pieces of, like mm-hmm. you know, he he was there at the accident, just as you described earlier, and that they they're in uh, Hayes's study or whatever. And yeah. then they see a car. Hayes sees a car, and he's like, "Hey, come here. Is there a car out there?" And sure yeah, enough, the last time they asked him, there wasn't one. <laughs> right. Well, but he didn't see one. He just saw lights and asked him to go check outside. Yeah. In this case, Hayes sees it and then asks Dorf to confirm it. And sure enough, there's an actual car out there. And so uh, Hayes grabs a baseball bat, storms outside with it. And demands, like, you know, who are you? If you've got something to say to me, say something. And in while the car speeds off, uh, Dorf gets a picture of the driver's license, not driver's license, but the license plate. Yeah, because so he's, he's basically went out as crazy old man as a distraction so Dorf can get at the back and take a photo of the license. Right. So um, then... Hayes sees himself... Uh, this is an amazing scene, by the way. Right. It's just like there's a transition where Hayes just kind of shifts out of time. And suddenly, yeah, everything goes black. Everything goes... It's like... He, I, I can't stress how impressed I was with this scene. It's like he's walking along and then everything starts to go black and then he's in a giant black room. And then in the distance he sees a fire and then he starts walking towards it and he sees himself post the shooting of Harris James. And he's back yard burning his clothes. Burning his clothes in a fire, man. I fucking love this, by the way. One of the best shot sequences of this season thus far. Just the transition is flawless. Because I've given us some before with the moon and stuff like that. But this tra- transition wowed me. And, of course, um, Amelia comes out and sees her husband burning his clothes. He's done one of two things, if he's not one to talk about it. 
he's either murdered the man or he's having sex with someone else. Right? That's you know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those two. You're crossing your fingers he just fucked somebody else. Hashtag yeah. you should be fucking. Yeah, you should be fucking. Um uh, yeah, so uh so he says he can't talk about it and she says, Well you promise me we're gonna discuss it tomorrow and he's like doesn't really commit to it as such kind of nods and all the rest. And then we wake up the following day and um Amelia's wanting answers, obviously, as to what's going on, and then the phone goes bull. Right. So he answers the phone and who is it but uh our old pal Michael Rooker. Yeah, the instantly recognizable Michael Rooker on the, on the phone as well. And I was like, "Oh, you done fucked up!" If Michael Rooker is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is outside your house. Yeah, and so Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is like, "Hey, uh, Hayes, this is Edmund Hoyt. Uh, can you come out and talk to us, please?" Yeah, and he looks outside. There are a couple of like very nice uh, cars, Lincolns, I think, outside. Mm-hmm. and he's like uh how about we do this another time this is kind of a bad day for me see uh i like to have a me day in the middle of the week and it just helps me oh what and they're like no no i if you can't come out we're happy to come in yeah and it's a real like it's tense it's right. like an incredibly tense scene of kind of verbal chess that they're playing because he's like you know i i kind of want to talk to you about my associate harris james and of course we're all like huh right (laughs) you know and he's like well you know i mean i could always go and speak to the ag about this maybe tell him some of the things i know but i kind of think you may want to speak to me before i do that and we settle it like i say i can come in if you want but and of course he's weighs all this up and realizes there's no way out of this one he's gonna have to go out and speak to him so he speaks to amelia says listen i promise i promise you when i come back i will tell you everything we'll get it all out we'll tell you everything we're done with it when i come back but i need to go and she's like what he's like trust me i need to go and um he exits the house he walks to the car he gets in the car, the car door closes, Bo, and we cut the credits. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's pretty so, good, Duncan. So here's some theories that I have. So obviously, on the back end of whatever is, whatever scary shit fucking Michael Rooker shows him in this fucking car, um, or whatever comes out of this conversation, Amelia's not writing this book, right? And he's quitting the police force. He's obviously not going to tell, I don't think he tells Dorf about it, and that's probably what sours their relationship, is he leaves Dorf with the fact that he's killed a man and just ups off out the force. Right. Right? Um, and he, I'm assuming he makes a promise, both of them, both Amelia and he make a promise never to investigate the case again, which they don't do. Um, it's, it's how much does Hoyt know about Harris because we didn't see him get tracked the best I can think of is maybe he's got maybe the vehicle had like a you know like one of these like Coleman chips or something you know how they, they you can tell where your employees are maybe it has one of them probably 90s early 90s you probably had that tech like mm-hmm. a car tracker or something so he knows the car's there and he knows the car's empty and his employees went missing you do you put two and two together and you know that Hayes and all that have been investigating maybe you piece some and maybe he's just fishing for answers 
how else could he know something? It was off the grid. It was in the middle of nowhere, and it didn't look like they were being tracked because it was uh, a dark road, and you would have seen headlights if someone was telling you. Unless uh, our theory about uh, Roland is correct, and Roland, unless yeah, R- Roland rolled over, yeah, which is entirely, entirely possible. So that's that's where we are. Well, I think we both have a similar theory. We both think Rebecca's dead. Yeah, I I think so too. I I think that that's going to be one of the twists of the knife. Yeah, in, I think I think it, it just doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't know. Um, so yeah, or he's forgotten something that he has done, which ultimately ended on in her dying. Whether it's they have an argument, she storms off in the car and has a car crash, or something. But yeah, I don't think she's with us anymore, and I think we'll get that revelation. I'm expecting the the advanced reviews for the next episode. The word that has been used is emotional roller coaster. So I get the feeling a lot of dark shit's going to happen. But <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got to imagine in the next episode we're going to cover what's happened to Amelia. We're going to cover because we're pretty much closed out the eighties. You know yeah, I mean? that eighties yeah, yeah. case is done. And I get the feeling that whatever is left in the nineties is going to get closed out pretty quick um, in the next episode. And then I think we're going to just finish off in the 2015s for the majority of the episode. Uh, but I think we're going to find out what happened to Rebecca. I think we're going to find out what Hoyt said. We're going to see Amelia die because they're not going to just skip over that. There's going to be something there in that some conversation before she dies on her deathbed or some shit. Uh, we're going to find out who this fucking director is, I hope. Um, and yeah, I, I fully expect either Hayes or Dorf not to survive the next episode. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that one of them is 100% dead before. Yeah. Uh, maybe both. That yeah, is not I, the craziest thing I've ever heard. It wouldn't super well they killed off... Um, Two, two characters and put one on the run in the last season and then they forgot about one but he wasn't really an actor uh, <laughs> yeah but we, did, we didn't care about him yeah but yeah so I think yeah I, there's so much I, right, I'm gonna I'm, I'm just gonna go on record I don't know how you feel about this season but is it too early to say that I think this is right up there with season one uh, is it too early to say that I, I think I kind of want to watch season one again before. I, I know you've watched it recently. Yeah, season one's incredible. It is incredible, but I think season three is more ambitious. Like three timelines. And not only that, an unraveling mystery over three timelines, which has kept us guessing all the way through. And we're going into the final episode and we still don't know what the overall thing is. We still don't know if um, we're ever going to find uh, the daughter at all, you know, from the, the beginning. We don't know any of this shit. And it's juggled three great timelines with three powerhouse timeline performances by the two main actors, which feel authentic and real, and they feel like each iteration feels aged, not only in makeup, but in the way they're acting. You know, their, their dialogue, their their wiseness or lack thereof. Um I think it's just a grander project. I think it's just a, I actually think it's a better mystery as well, even though it's a more back to basics mystery, if you know what I mean. And that we've kind of seen a lot of this coming a mile off. Um, the unraveling of the story and the spending time with the characters. I mean, these, these two cops feel far more human than any two cops in any of the seasons. I feel 
you know, Rustin Cole is an extreme example of of a you know a, a, a incredible intellect and narcissism, um, and Marty is like a bloated version of everything that's wrong with authority. You know, if authority gets given to to, to someone who's a bit of a bro, um, and you know, Colin Farrell's character never felt real, um, and none of those characters in that one. It's kind of one of the reasons I like season two is they do feel like they've come straight from a noir novel, um, whereas the two characters we have here are fucking totally fully realised. Their conversations are great and the dialogue is punchy and it's on point without talking about, you know, fucking collapse in space and time as a flat circle. The conversations are really grounded and real and there's a realism about it that I think, go back and watch season one. Season one's incredible, but it had Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey in it. It was always going to be incredible. You know what I mean? This season, to me, is the... I think this season is right up there with it. I can't fault it. I can't uh, right the uh, uh, and when I was thinking about this, the scene that you didn't like with the ghosts with the the V the Viet Cong. Yes. People in the background. There was a guy wearing a suit in the background, and I have seen people hypothesize the theory. I need to go back and watch it. That that is Harris James. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I, yeah, I remember so seeing the one in the suit, yeah. and I I figured it was someone tied to the case somehow we still need to find out what happened in the woods that like harris james didn't die in the woods he was buried in some woods but it wasn't really buried in woods and that's what amelia says you need to find out what you left in the woods or what you hid in the woods or what you saw in the woods we still need to find out what that is Is do you do you think it's not the body of harris james no i think it's what happens in the next episode that might be his daughter's death oh okay all right, all right. I'm, I'm maybe very he curious. Take, about maybe this. he doesn't take a telling. Maybe he starts to investigate things again, and maybe the price of that investigation is his daughter's death. Huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm very curious about this. I really am. I think that. Um, I, I, I don't know that I would say it, it's in the same. In the same it was better. I said, yeah. I, I said, as to me, it's, it's, it's a. Disc- let me put it this way. It's a conversation I never thought I'd be having. Yeah, no. The, the the fact that the conversation can be had is impressive. Yeah. And, I mean, you just can't say enough good things about Mahershal Ali and, and Stephen Dorff. And, and what we have learned is that the if you get characters and, and performers uh, to, to synergize in the way that they have for seasons one and three in particular of this mm-hmm. show then, you know, you can get away with a couple of goofy Vietnam go scenes. Yeah. Plus, like I say, I think that one scene, if if it's not only setting up all the ghosts of his past, but it's also using it as a way to segue part of the mystery, right? It's a blunt way of doing that. It's a blunt device to do it. it I mean, it didn't offend me to the point where I was like, this is a bad scene. It just compared to, it's like parking your moderately expensive car beside a Ferrari and then all of a sudden your car looks shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does the job, but it just doesn't do the job of the car beside it. It's that sort of thing. It's surrounded by incredible scenes that if everything else was of a, a more mediocre level, that scene is fine. But taken in context where everything around it is just like A-level performance, it just looks a bit naff. You know what I mean? They did yeah. it better with Amelia's scene. They did it better with that one. So when you get the next one, it's like they're trying to inflate it, but by inflating it, it deflates. Um, 
so yeah and i mean that's really and a couple of lines of dialogue here or there when i'm like or a couple of you know the the mum says you know kids should laugh right after we saw the kids should laugh thing or the the director says did you not feel that it was kind of you know returning to the 80s and then the, right after that he says the line the same line those sort of things i think are maybe just a little bit dumb compared to the rest of the show but not terrible you know they're not like fucking crimes against the show i think as it stands i think this and it all depends on that last episode but i will say this the last episode of true detective season one we knew who our killer was and we were just closing out the show that whole last episode is them getting that guy right Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. La- the whole last episode of this one is going to tie up two major mysteries and maybe reveal what happened to this missing kid that kicked the whole thing off. Maybe, um, and that to me is a more tantalising end to a show because there's still so much we have to cover. Also, rumor word on the street is it's a longer episode, which oh, would make yeah, sense. Sure. Has to be, has to be too much stuff to cover. But yeah, we will know this time next week. We will have finished season eight and I am wanting, I've never so badly wanted uh, a season to finish so strong that I can sit down with you and agonize over what one's my favorite true detective season. Yeah, I agree. And, and like I said, the fact that we are, we are talking about it in those terms is is certainly impressive. So uh, all we need to remember is, and hopefully HBO learned their lesson quickly in this one is True Detective Season 3, right? Hopefully it wins all the awards it deserves. It deserves everything, right? You give Nick Pissolato two or three years to go and write a story and then give him it. Doesn't have to be every year, right? They need to start doing what they're doing with things like Westworld and uh, Game of Thrones. A year and a half to get those things doing a season to season. That's what they need to do with True Detective. You rush this guy to do it again, you'll get another kind of harshly cobbled together season two which like i say is not as bad as everyone says it is but it's not as good as season three or one and that's what happens when this guy has time to go away and work on something give this man time to work on it and when he's ready to bring back season four give him all the money in the world yeah i i couldn't agree more uh i think you let him uh stay in the in the kitchen as long as he needs to yeah to to bake up the next season but yeah i think it's uh it's been great, man. I'm I'm very excited about the uh, the final episode. Uh, before we get to that, though, Duncan, yes, uh, what are you excited about seeing in uh, in the coming week? And also, further, uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more? Well, if anyone wants to hear any more of what I do, I do a show called Podcast Under the Stage. You probably already checked out, but if you haven't, tputtscast.com or go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputtscast. It's Podcast Under the Stairs pretty much everywhere else um, and all your usual platforms. So yeah, go and check it out. In terms of what I'm going to watch, you're going to hate me, but um, on Friday night, I'm going to Glasgow International Film Festival. I'm checking out the new Craig um, Craig S. Zala movie, Drive Across Concrete, starring Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. <laughs> That's a great title. That's uh, fucking amazing. I hope it is everything that that title hints at. I hope it lives up to every possibility. That that would be fantastic. Uh, if you want to hear more out of me over at legionpodcasts.com, you can find uh, much more, uh, including Pick 6 movies and... 
what else? Devour the podcast is over there, and that's got all kinds of stuff. And and then then besides me, plenty of other people doing stuff that's uh, just as good, if not better. Uh, so check out all the shows over there. Uh, as for what I'm looking forward to seeing next, uh, Duncan, um, I really want to uh, to go see that Happy Death Day to you, which I have not seen yet, and I'm excited I, to do so. I have seen. I'm going to see it again tomorrow. Yeah, I saw you had a review up, and I uh, avoided it because I haven't seen it yet. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot less horror, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I you know. I, I heard it does kind of a different thing, and to me that sounds just right. So Yeah, if, if the first movie was Groundhog Day meets Scream, this one is, I've heard it described, it's pretty good. It's like Revenge of the Nerds meets um, Back to the Future 2. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. It's the uh, total entertaining popcorn flick that with characters you actually like. You're going to have fun with it. Excellent. All right, well, uh, folks... We will see you back here in a week as we uh, close out season three of True Detective. We appreciate you listening. Please rate and review, and we will see you next week. Say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Who's gonna ride that chrome three-wheel? Who's gonna make that first mistake? Say